CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What is up, Gypsy gang? We are back for an epic episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. This is maybe one of the most requested podcasts of all time. Uh, This podcast is up there in the request with James Stewart and Jason Lawrence. So you know you are a badass international man of mystery uh, when you get put into the same request folder uh, as those two. My guest today is mountain bike god, deity, royalty, Sam Hill. Uh, I was a mountain bike rat way before uh, I really got serious about racing motocross and Sam Hill is, I guess, the central figure of my Mount Rushmore of mountain biking gods. Uh, He is kind of in line uh, with Ricky Carmichael, Stefan Everts, all of the greats of the moto world uh, in the mountain bike lane. And to not only get to do this podcast with Sam, but to rock up at his house in Perth, hang with his amazing family, uh, and then go and ride motocross with him, then to come home and uh, or back to his place and do a three-hour podcast with a guy that I just, man, I thought Sam Hill walked on water when I was a kid. So this was a super special one. Um, we did, we, we actually, this was a crazy schedule to pull this one off. Uh, we literally drove three and a half days to Perth. We arrived from the Gold Coast to Perth uh, at Sam's place, we ate some Subway, and then we went and did some motos at one of the gnarliest sand tracks I've ever ridden, uh, and then set up and did this podcast till about 2am, so um, huge thanks to Sam and Bridget uh, and the family for uh, welcoming wel- welcoming us into the house and uh, and helping make this ha- one happen. Sorry if I just sound stupid uh, from tiredness, uh, but I did my best, and I really, really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Today, we are brought to you by Nukeproof Bikes. They are the choice of three-time Enduro World Champion Sam Hill. He's won the EWS in 2017, 2018, and 2019 on Nukeproof Bikes. And I tell you what, I saw a full fleet of these things in the hill shed and they are about as trick as it gets from the mega that's their enduro version the mega watt which is their e-bike uh the giga which is their super enduro and if you really want to just you know send it with some triple crown fun uh there's the descent Obviously, if you're a mountain biker uh, and you want to race one of these bad boys, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, But if you're a moto guy and you're looking for some cross-training fun, uh, mountain bikes are an amazing way to get that kind of training in. 
And it just adds to the time you spend behind bars. And a life behind bars is a life well lived, in my opinion. Uh, Nukeproof, it is an attitude. You can head to the Nukeproof website, nukeproof.com, to find your local dealer, regardless of where you are in the globe. Uh, These guys do an amazing job. And Sam Hill will be flying the flag for Nukeproof once again in 2021 at the World Enduro Uh, Sam is racing this Thursday and again on Sunday. Uh, So head to the World Enduro website. It has a live feed and results panel if you are looking to follow Sam uh, as he tries to get a fourth world title. Don't do what I did in the last go round of quarantine and just let the manscaping really go. Uh, Manscaped has just launched in Australia. And look, we've gone years without using the right tools for the job. And you can be one of the first to experience their life-changing products here in Australia. Um, Yeah, look, it's important, guys. I let it go. It's not something I'm going to do again. Um, But having the right tools for the job definitely makes it easier. Uh, That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever. And they've just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. Their third generation trimmer features cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming incidents. And this is the key thing for me um, with the Manscaped products. Uh, The other thing that I really enjoy is the waterproof technology that allows me to groom in the shower. Uh, And they've upgraded to a new 7000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. So, you know, late night sessions, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Um, If you're listening to me right now, I would love you to experience this firsthand for yourself. So it's time to trim that junk of yours and get 20% off plus free shipping while doing it. You can use the code gypsygang at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Your missus will thank you. Your baby mama will thank you. Um, whoever's hanging out in that region that doesn't own the balls that you're trimming, they will be the ones that will thank you. We are also brought to you by the guys at Crush Oz, uh, crushoz.com. These guys are awesome whether you ride mountain bikes or moto. I use them for both. And the Bike Care Bucket is an epic place to start. Uh, In there, you've got stuff like a a drivetrain cleaner. You've got a brush. You've got uh, the rapid wash. And then you've also got a bunch of aftercare uh, products that come in there. I pretty much go through maybe like a bucket uh, a year. Uh, and then I've also got one of their, tr- their 20 liter drums, um, of premix rapid wash. And that pretty much has me set, uh, everything's in the one place. I basically get out the pressure washer, get out the gurney, um, and basically just work my way through the bike care bucket. Uh, and my bikes always come up spick and span, uh, living close to the beach as well. That afterwash really does its job to protect my bike so the guys at crush are riders themselves this truly is a by riders for riders brand and if you want to find out more just head to their website at crushoz.com 
We are also brought to you by the guys at MX Store. You can head to mxstore.com.au for Australia's largest range of parts and accessories. That's basically uh, my supermarket. Uh, if you also head to their YouTube channel, Mike Sleater and the gang there have put together an epic build series called Wreckers to Checkers where they got uh, they got a few bikes and they had a $6,000 budget. Um, there's a, a couple really cool bikes in this one as well and it's been really inspiring just for the uh our own bike builds that we've got going on uh with mid 2k and now our bike sales 125 for the 125 cup so head to mxstore.com.au uh follow the socials in their youtube to join in the fun we're also brought to you by the guys at fist handwear and dixon quality and i'm just going to do this ad read for both of them because both companies have just dropped an epic collab. Uh, there's the Fist Flannel that dropped last week as well as the Dixon Fist Glove. Um, they look unreal. Super stoked on these. Shout out to Sam and the whole crew there uh, for the awesome work that they're doing. You can head to fisthandwear.com uh, and dixonquality.com.au. The code Gypsy Gang is going to get you 15% off. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Boost Mobile. You can head to boostmobile.com.au to join Australia's largest prepaid service provider. These guys have the best deals in Australia. Uh, not only that, they do these refurbished phones, which are epic. Uh, I am using one of those, the iPhone 11 Pro at the moment. Uh, and when I went to buy a new phone, it was just insane, the prices. And my... Uh, refurb phone showed up from Boost and it was basically brand new. I really couldn't tell the difference at all. So um, a great option there, boost.com.au. Uh, and we're also brought to you by the guys at Cricks Tweed, crickstweed.com.au for your new or used car. That's it. Enjoy this podcast with the one and only Sam Hill. So, I feel really far away from you, Sam. It's all right, man. <laughs> all right. Sam Hill, the Flying Fossil, <laughs> Gypsy Tales podcast. Let's go. Look, we've got this big, expensive studio that we built in Burley, and uh, people come to it, but they're not Sam Hill. What happens when you're Sam Hill and you do Gypsy Tales is people drive for four days to set up in your living room because you command that kind of respect so welcome to the show mate thanks very much <laughs> so i'll just give people a little bit of uh context we've driven across the country to uh to race the manjum up fifteen thousand. we arrive here today awaiting us is an epic sand track so that's your local like you that's where you ride most of the time well i ride all over the place but yeah it's just um it's just down the road and a uh, young kid rides there and trains there, so he was kind enough to let us out there today. What um what did you make of the uh what did you make of the uh East Coast boys having a crack in the sand today, mate? Sammy uh wasn't Sammy's longest motor. Oh, I don't even think I seen him do any laps, eh? Hey? Just <laughs> there was a bit of sitting and looking going on. What do you what do you see him do? Um no, not not too sure, eh? He was just hanging out. <laughs> there was no, no, nothing. I think he was trying to figure out what to do with the sand. Yeah, look, it's... um For us Queensland boys, it's... Uh, well, he's a Tassie. There's no sand in Tasmania either. Well, it, it, was, it wasn't flat sand, so... True. Took him to probably the worst place you could go to, to 
that would get your feet wet. We got the full WA experience. Yeah. Like that that is and any time that that was my first time that wheels had ever touched dirt for me uh, or sand in WA. And uh but I've seen it before a bunch of times but never ridden it. And that that lived up to all the expectations. Yeah, I definitely um there's a different style of riding to to ride that stuff I think and for you dudes, you just rolled off a four-day drive and had a couple of Subway sandwiches and threw your boots on and got stuck in. So, um, yeah, you need a bit of time to get used to it. Yeah, well, look, lucky uh, lucky we've got a few days before me and you. That's it. Tomorrow, we, tomorrow Bunbury will be good. You guys will get a, a smooth track there and get a bit more time to, to figure it out. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about old Bunbury. That's one of, like, a bit of a bucket list track in terms of just just feel like the tracks over here just look insane or uh, so many of the east coast tracks just don't i guess like look that cool but over here man like everything just looks epic even today epic yeah yeah i don't know what it is um, bunbury's like i've always loved riding there it's a cool track so pretty excited to see what you guys reckon tomorrow yeah nah i'm keen and then manji you've had to bow out of the manji fifteen thousand. um look probably that's pr- it's probably good for a lot of the vets actually well that, that pretty much when out. i seen sam moore's name on the entry list I you mean, were done just there's no, can't compete <laughs> what do you how, how do you compete with that i can't so we're just having a weekend off yeah look mate it's probably the move i tell you what you are extremely fast on a motocross bike like i was i'd seen videos of you ride before but watching you properly ride in person on the same track i was fucking impressed <laughs> i know you don't like I talking don't know, about that i know see this all right so it's, this it's is a bike with two wheels yeah and you fucking send it i like it it's unreal <laughs> so that i guess brings me to one of the challenges of doing a podcast with a man like yourself who has literally done everything that there is to do on two wheels but you're the most humble and, I guess, underspoken dude. And I, I guess that's why so many people, like, people just froth Sam Hill. And I just think maybe it's because you don't say that much, you rock up, you smoke everybody by a million seconds, and then you bounce back to WA and, no, like, no one, no one saw you coming. <laughs> they just saw you win, they saw you leave. And, uh, and you don't really like talking about yourself that much, but the next couple of hours, mate, I'm going to need you to have a crack at talking Two about hours. yourself. Hey? Two hours. Three hours. Yeah. We got this. You, right. talk, you talk about yourself. We're on. You talk about yourself for three hours, you reckon? I'll talk to you for three hours. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so, we could go, I guess, talk about the motocross stuff first, because you do rip on a motocross bike when did the moto stuff come in as heavy as what it is because essentially we rock up to your place from our four-day drive and we just walk into full-on moto dad moto mum, and moto <laughs> kid life so the moto thing's pretty pretty heavy in the hill family yeah i think it's definitely taken over a bit the last couple of years but um yeah so as a as a kid i raced motocross uh from like four till I was about nine 
and then sort of lost lost interest in it and, and went down the BMX route and then from there got into mountain biking. So, um, yeah, I think that was the, the first sort of thing I, I got involved in as a sport. Obviously, I've always loved it. It's always been a passion and a hobby. And then when I got a bit older and made, made a bit of money myself to buy my own bikes, I sort of got another bike and have always done it as like a, a training tool and yeah and um yeah just really enjoy motocross and um that that's my thing outside of mountain biking so yeah and then COVID hit last year and my, my oldest son bam he's always wanted to to do motocross and, and i've taken him like a couple of races here and there over the last few years but he hasn't been able to do it because it's always clashing when i'm away so yeah. yeah last year not me not traveling away I was able to get him into it and and sort of yeah guide guide him through a year of racing and he sort of progressed and taken off and fallen in love with it and um, even the younger two now are, are getting involved so sort of yeah taken over the the hill household a bit. So Bam's only just started racing. Yeah, last year was his first year of having a having a good go. No which, way. Which was kind of a short year as well, so. Yeah, I thought he'd just been doing it flat out, like, the whole time. No, he's, he's had a motorbike since he, I don't know, he rode his first motorbike when he was about three, but it's never never been, like, a a thing yeah. that he's done regularly or, like, flat out or, or anything like that until last year. So, when you, when you were nine, why do you reckon you stopped, like, you lost interest in riding? Um, I think I had a couple of crashes that sort of scared me yeah. off it so and then that that was it yeah i don't know my dad said that i was decent at it do you remember much about racing back then oh i remember getting lots of trophies and thinking that i was the man but <laughs> later on in life you realize that they they weren't great trophies they were sort of for turning up yeah yeah, yeah but uh yeah i know i wasn't terrible but i wasn't like probably as good as i thought i was in my mind yeah and so then you go to bmx yeah and did it switch for you then that you were like well i guess because every kid like for me i wanted to be pro motocross rider but obviously not gonna happen but at at some point i reckon every kid you know bam probably right now is looking on the tv and like oh i'm gonna be justin barsh i'm gonna be you know but did when was that for you like did you you didn't have that in moto um I don't know. I remember having like motocross heroes like Guy Cooper and Rick Johnson and stuff, and used to just watch all the videos and that sort of thing. But I don't really know what sort of triggered me not not to want to keep doing it. Yeah, but then so BMX. Like, when was the first moment where you were like, I want to be pro? Um, at mountain biking. Would, so was it mountain biking that you had that, or not in BMX? uh nah bmx was just i don't know i was i just grew up on two wheels if i wasn't riding motorbikes i was at home messing around with bmx and then um so i guess that bmx racing was sort of then a natural thing to go to but uh yeah i was never that that awesome at it i wasn't bad but the old uh the old gate snap and the horsepower out of the gate wasn't quite where it needed to be <laughs> but i don't think it was anything i wanted or, or thought of taking super serious at the time and then um, my older brother him and his mates started getting into mountain biking and I'd chase them around on a BMX and 
seemed like a local race and thought it was pretty sick so sort of uh yeah went went there what watched that local race i wanted to race it um it was a dual slalom just had a bmx with the rear brake and it had rained overnight and i couldn't like my brakes wouldn't slow down so i couldn't in, end up racing it so i just watched and then uh, after that got to the next race and yeah just took off from there there wouldn't really we we spoke about this a bit earlier but when you started there wasn't really mountain bikes no there was there was nothing on everything was 26 inch wheels yeah and it was all like you you had to be an adult or a good sized teenager to have a mountain bike really yeah so what what was your first mountain bike um i think it was like an old shogun trailblazer or some no way some rigid thing i probably stole off me mum yeah, that was the that was the milk and milk and bread bike yeah pretty much but um yeah i never had had flash mountain bikes even when i started i had to sell my my bmx bike and save some money up for me paper route and and sort of piece together a mountain bike to get going yeah right what was the, the your i guess like upbringing like around sport and stuff like that did you have like the mini dad parents or did you have real hands-off parents and you had to kind of get everywhere yourself or no i think um i don't think we were like pushed or pressured into anything um we obviously had had a lot of support from our parents for what we wanted to do um my dad was was interested in motocross so i think that's why we started yeah from a young age yeah and then when we started mountain biking dad thought that it was stupid that he was driving us a few hours to do a two-minute race so back back then we there was just downhill and cross country yeah and and most of the races would have cross country one day downhill the next yeah yeah so if we were driving two hours away dad was making us race across country because that's so funny (laughs) he wasn't just letting us get away with a two-minute race yeah that's that's such a dad thing i remember when i was racing downhill my dad was just like that's why I ended up getting all the way into moto. Yeah. Because Dad was just like, fuck this, I can't even see your race, dude. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to get your bike, at least I can watch you suck. Yeah. <laughs> I only see you suck for two minutes, uh, for two seconds when you come past in this two-minute run. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard hard for spectators and stuff to get into. and. But, um, yeah, now Dad Dad loves mountain biking and he goes riding all the time by himself, so. Uh, what was the WA scene like around that time? Um, I, I, th- I look back at it as it's a bit of a heyday, really. Yeah, I really. think um, just some of it's probably being a kid that's new to the sport and, yeah. and excited about it. But because there was the just the cross-country and downhill and the state rounds would would hold both events on, on the same weekend, you'd get, get a lot of people racing both disciplines. Mm. you get a lot of people, ca- like everyone to camp, You'd, you'd have uh, bonfires and people would be jumping over fires at night time and, and, you know, having fun and having a good time. So, I don't know, I look back at it as, as a lot of good memories there and now it's it's a lot more serious and, and people don't really want... Yeah. They're, not, they're not camping, they're not doing, doing the same sort of things where the atmosphere is like a, a good buzz to be around. Yeah, yeah that's the biggest thing that's coming back right now man is just 
events where it's about fun yeah like we're so lucky with the like the transmoto events that we do which you're gonna do at some point and uh and we just did <clears throat> we just did dust hustle um the other day and there's just such a shift i reckon from the serious shit into just the fun stuff yeah i think a lot more people are sort of chasing that fun event and they they want to go and have a good time on the weekend with their mates and that sort of thing and i think um enduro has sort of brought that back brought that back a lot because you are you're racing but you're going and riding around with your mates yeah especially at a local event so it's uh yeah it brings back a bit a bit more of the fun atmosphere to it when did you first realize that you were good um I, I don't know I sort of I used to just come home from school and and watch the videos of of like all the top dudes and who get, was who what videos were you watching back then um it was like transcontinental and some chat chain smoke and stuff yeah, like that I think yeah yeah who were the fast guys uh, I was still like Steve Pete, Cedric yeah. Gracia, yeah. Um, Nico Vulio. Yeah. Yeah, it was that, that sort of era around, yeah. around 98, 99, 2000, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the same era of dudes that I was looking up to. Like yeah. I grew up just full mud cows kid, like Michael Ronning, Kavarik, and then overseas or like, yeah, then you had like Mick Hanna, Sean McCarroll, uh, Nathan Rennie. Yeah. Like yeah, it was actually... Man, come to think of it, it was actually a pretty crazy Aussie scene in that early 2000s. And I guess you were probably, I'm just trying to like think of the, the time frame in my head. When Rennie and Kavarik and those boys were killing it, you were probably a junior, right? Yeah. So yeah. we were they, they were doing World Cups when you were like world junior? Um. Yeah, they, them boys were already over there. Yeah. Doing, they were on teams and, and, and racing World Cups, yeah. So, was that a part of the, I guess, you thinking like, I could do this, like I could go over there and be like that? Uh, I, get, I guess you got the dream. Like, I never, looking back on it, I never actually thought that I would go yeah. and race... Like, I, I raced loads of years against Petey and Cedric and, and those guys. And they were the guys I looked at in the videos and I never thought that would be me. But, um, yeah, I think I was maybe 14 when we went, went and raced the first national championship over east in Canberra. Yeah. And that um, I was in the under-17 class and I won it by, like, 30 seconds or something. Fuck. And then uh, Dad told me like the next year we'd try race the national series to try get on like the junior worlds team for australia yeah and went over um and i think ended up winning the series and that's sort of like i don't know even at that point of time i didn't think it's going to be my career isn't it so crazy to like as you sit here now doing everything that you've done to look back and think that you were still naive to the fact that you were going to be even a professional, let alone go on and achieve everything. Like, that's insane. Like, uh, I guess too now, man, you think about it, like so many kids now, it's just so mapped out. 
yeah. like you do this you do this you do this and then you're on a team and then you're doing world cups and you and it's i guess it's like kind of the same in moto and like you're one of the best ever to do it and it's like oh yeah i won by like 30 seconds but still didn't really think that i'd beat pro yeah i don't know why it's just i don't know what it is really um yeah yeah no yeah, i think just, it's just like it was obviously like my my passion and it was a dream and a goal but it was never something i even like there wasn't um june like you didn't have a junior world cup series back then like you do now like juniors yeah you sort of had to race against everyone and and make your mark yeah whereas nowadays junior just junior riders getting paid like yeah. on, on salaries and they're they're fighting for a junior world cup and they might not even put down a time that qualifies with the main dudes but yeah really back then look you try and as a junior we just try and qualify for the main show yeah 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 man that this especially like downhill has just come so far in that i guess the period that your career has sort of gone through you know like it was such a different landscape of you know you had the june like you said you didn't ever have the world series because i yeah. remember i remember did you there was like a you won the junior worlds and then we did you go and do like a race right after that was like a men's one and you were right there uh yeah so um 2002 junior world champs i won and then the weekend after was the world cup finals in france i think i got 10th like overall which was pretty legit yeah oh so when you you were won that race by the uh the junior by 30 seconds what were what were like the east coast people thinking because it's like where there's not even really big hills here and then you've got this random kid that is just completely smoking everybody at the like what was the chat around the pits uh, i don't really know i think um it was under 17 class and i had no idea what to expect so i've just gone balls to the wall really not think like my my goal going there was probably like a podium or a top five or something so it was pretty crazy i think for me i just can't i can't imagine the dads that would have been in the pits with like the serious race of vibes going on yeah and this random kid from wa just shows up and just puts the wood to everybody i, don't, I think that that sort of more happened when i did the first i rocked up the next year for the first national series race yeah in um some somewhere in in sydney anyway and no one really still knew me being from wa and ben Corey had just got back from racing world champs oh, as a yeah, junior yeah and i i think i beat him by like a good margin <laughs> and then that's gone long people like who is this dude like did he actually do that or, or is his time messed up type of thing yeah because that's that's what i remember from that time period is that camera all good um yeah i remember i remember that being like kind of the chat was people like yeah this sam hill dude's like cutting the track <laughs> like, because the thing is like downhill races were won by seconds half seconds tenths 
And then you got this random dude from WA flat pedals just coming and being like winning by 30 seconds. And it's just like, what's he doing up there? Yeah, I think that's that's kind of what what it was. Like the, being from WA, no one, no one like knows who you are. To be the same for motocross, that sort of thing. Like they're not used to someone new sort of coming in. So um, it was, I think, like um, my mate John Waddell, who used to race professionally downhill, spent a lot of time over the east coast too because he was from Perth, and he he sort of like had me back with a few of the dudes I think and was like nah he's he's legit he's <laughs> this is what he does he, everybody. he's a good rider so yeah I think um, yeah and then obviously the next few races I was up there too so and so how did you so you were saying today that you were doing school you're doing like year 11 and then you went and did your first so did that junior series then give you the opportunity to go to the yeah. states for the first time yeah so the junior series was over like this i guess our uh, summer um end of 2000 into 2001 so then i got chosen um they take seven juniors to the world championship in 2001 which was in vale colorado that year yeah yeah and scott sharples um he was like the head junior development coach um, which they don't really do anymore, which is a shame, but he, he took us all over for, I think it was like a couple of months before the World Championship, and we did like a, a Norba in America, we did a World Cup in Mont Saint Anne, and, and did did a bunch of riding and training and stuff like that, so it was a, uh, it was a good sort of lead up into that big event. What was your, like, when you first got over there, and you started doing runs and you were doing the chairlift runs and being amongst the scene because like i imagine it's kind of similar to moto you get over to the u.s and you've watched all these tracks and you've seen all these riders and then you know you get a chance to go and do it yourself yeah. do you remember what it was like that first trip uh i think because we were with there was seven of us so we we're all like kids in a candy store so we're away from home we're in a new country we're all super excited to be there racing our bikes and then you look around the pits and there's all the people you see in the magazines and and on the um on the videos and that sort of thing so it was pretty pretty bloody crazy and scary i think to be 16 and and thrown into that and what was the your riding like did you ride good when you went over to that because i think i mean especially for me you're just like oh sam hill's just that good at riding but it's not it's not like you're just blessed to where you don't have to try you don't have to think about it you just go and do it like i'm sure you go through the same shit that every rider goes through where they're like oh fuck i hope i ride good tomorrow and i'm yeah. so keen you know what i mean yeah i think for guys like me looking at someone like you we think it's just so easy but did you get over there and have like was there like pressure on yourself to really want to ride good and really perform and and then did you ride good that first trip yeah i think it's definitely like you want to you, you want to go there and do good so it's pressure on yourself really um the, we went the first big race we did was a, a norba national in america and we um because we we're all juniors we were entered in the junior category 
but I didn't have any World Cup points to race the World Cup the weekend after, so oh. I, I actually raced the junior and the elite to try and get points. points. So in the in the junior, I remember I took I was worried that I was going to be too tired because um, juniors race first, and then we had to go to the elite race, and I can't remember if there's qualifying and stuff as well. But I I rode pretty casual in the junior, and I got second to an American kid, but I wasn't far behind him. And then I needed top twenty in the elite to get the points, and I ended up getting fourteenth, which was um yeah I think at the time I didn't think too much of it but it's pretty pretty wild yeah um, that I was able to do that I think and then going to Mont Saint-Anne for the World Cup finals I think it was uh that 80 people used to qualify and I qualified maybe like in the 50s range somewhere like that and then I think I might ended up like 36 or something in the in the finals that's insane eh? as as like a yeah 16 year old and how would your bike have been compared to the dudes that were at the top of that time? Uh, probably probably not awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what bike were you on back then? Um, I was riding a Cortina, which was like a um, like a handmade bike. By there's a, there was a family in Santa Barbara, that, that, yeah, the Cortina right. family, and they used to make, make bikes in their garage, I think. No way. How'd that happen? Uh, I don't know. Um, I used to think they look sick in the magazines and um, there was an Australian distributor I ended up just getting one somehow and then actually the um, one of the sons of the family lent me like a dual slalom bike when I was over there to race yeah really um, which was pretty cool so yeah so that that trip then and then you go and you get that top 15 when are you still in your head like when's it ticking that you're like I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be the man. Oh, I don't, I don't know. It's weird because you're still a junior. Like yeah, um, I got at the world championships. I got third. Um, ben Corey won it, and then a French guy got second. So then obviously that that's the last race of the year. Um, I still got two more years in junior, and you know my goal was to to go back and win the next year. And so when you come home to Australia after that first trip, that's when you told your old boy that you were done with school and yeah. you were just going <laughs> to, I'm done, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was like I'm going to be a professional mountain biker. I'm not going back to school, but I just, I didn't like school. I couldn't see myself getting anything out of being at school or benefit from it at that time. So um, missing like, I did, that was halfway through year 11 and then I'd gone overseas so really I've got like a term and a bit left which I didn't want to be there so um yeah dad decided yeah don't don't go and I went went and got a job working working with him helping him out and uh yeah saving money so I can go race the next year what was your first what was your job with him um I've, I've had loads of random odd jobs so do you like you like working like yeah. you enjoy hard work yeah i do i think um i don't know dad like growing up dad always made us work for what we wanted like even as a kid so i sort of appreciate that and um yeah i think it's probably made me understand what hard work is yeah 
and that that sort of related into being an athlete and and putting the hard work in to get the results that i want man i've been thinking about that shit so much lately like my old boy was just so hard on us and it's funny because nowadays he's not you know like he's nearly 60 and yeah he's just the most like laid back chilled dude now but man back in the day it was just like a fucking slave driver right eh? <laughs> just like constantly doing renos and just the most random shit around the house and uh i used to just fucking hate it and yeah. now i look at it and i'm like oh you're the man yeah thanks dude that was sick now i actually know how to work because of that yeah yeah i remember um I had like the sickest Diamondback Viper Chrome Ollie BMX probably when I was about 11 and uh, my dad used to work off offshore a lot so I'd go away for like four weeks and be home for four weeks and he'd cut this huge pile of firewood and it was my job to wheelbarrow it and stack it in like the woodshed and all, my payment was like this $14 pad set that I wanted for my BMX bike and if I stacked all this wood then I got it and I remember I hadn't stacked like the wood in the time he wanted me to or something. He he chained me BMX bike to the <laughs> to the big saw he chopped the wood with. And I remember being terrified my bike was gonna be sitting in the rain rusting. So I was just flat out in that wheelbarrow. <laughs> to but, get it done. Yeah, just I don't know, it's a different different day now, I think, with kids, but Yeah, what's it what's it like? Cause that's sort of I guess not why i've been thinking about it but as you get older you're like oh, i'll probably have kids soon like how how will i treat my kids you know because it's funny because in the time i was just like fucking couldn't stand him for it yeah you know what i mean you're just like you're the biggest dickhead in the world yeah. like why would you do that but, yeah, and then looking back you appreciate it all yeah exactly but it's just like yeah i wonder now eh? and the time has changed a bit you know like we didn't have phones and shit like yeah. that back in you know well we sound old but like back in those days you know but yeah, you wonder, like, how do you teach a kid to work hard these days? Yeah, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I'm trying, but... <laughs> yeah, well, because you've got, you've got three little yeah. terrors running around. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, fuck, it's just one of those things, eh? Like, those are the things that make... They probably helped make the Sam Hill that did what you did in, in that career, but when you look back, yeah, it, it's just shit where you're just like, fucking hell. Yeah, I think it just gives you more appreciation for... for life and when you earn something you appreciate it more oh definitely and so how much does i was talking about um obviously like we're in wa we had leesky on last week and and sheeny and i i think from me coming from cairns there was this um this weird thing that isolation does to you like you're not around all the big dudes you're not you, you don't grow up around all the big races and all the fast guys you just kind of by yourself doing your own thing and hoping that you can be quick enough to race with like for us it wasn't the east coast guys for us it was like the south guys because we yeah. were so far up north but how much did that i guess the wa deal play into you as developing as a rider yeah maybe maybe it's like because you for some reason you think those guys are going to be better than what they are yeah. or, or like you're scared to go and race them because you think they're going to be did you have that crazy fast yeah i think until you sort of go over there and then beat them by 30 seconds and then race with them and figure out where you're at it's i think it's definitely a thing that motivates that, that people yeah feel and and motivates you and sort of it might make you dig deeper and work harder 
Yeah, and so you you had a bit of that going on. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah, because I imagine, I mean, fuck, it's a long way to get here. <laughs> so, so I imagine when you're a kid in WA, and I mean, like, it's not not like you guys even really had the heels, yeah, really. We, yeah, we don't have a lot. I remember um, that first race I went for. I knew the track was like seven minutes long, so every day after school I'd go to seven minutes as fast as I could doing laps to my local BMX track and then I'd rest for a bit and I'd go again because we don't have a seven minute long hill to practice on that it's the most like when you look back at it now like we're sitting in a room with five world champ world champs jerseys that's just the world champs let alone the the overalls and then the EWS's that's from a dude that didn't have any fucking hills where he lived like how does it work i don't oh, get it i don't know I, I love wa and i love um love where we live i think we've got awesome awesome trails and tracks to train on that we just don't have the the actual height and elevation and the long the longer yeah. runs but as far as terrain goes and that sort of thing we've got we've got a good variety and, and stuff to challenge us so that so you didn't have the elevation as such but you had the conditions that let you develop the skills. Yeah, and then obviously you just got to find alternative ways of, of being able to maximise your training so that when you do go, you know, whether it's a five-minute run or in a downhill or a 15-minute run in EWS, you just got to maximise your training to, to be prepared for that. It's so crazy to think of what you would have had to do creatively to train into in terms of like like you just said seven minutes of bmx that's crazy when you think about it eh? yeah well but it's it's crazy normal it's not not, like to me telling you it's normal because that's what i've known that i've had to do but i guess for other people they that like you know if i go enduro training i might go ride for four hours and i'll do 10 or 12 different tracks but if you lived in Europe, you might do two tracks because it takes you an hour and a half or two hours to pedal to the top of the thing. Yeah. I guess then the thing, like, you must have just really wanted it. Yeah, I did. But that's, that's something that I think, um, like, your mind and your determination, no matter what, what it is in life, I think that can, can carry you a long way in life. So when was the, like, so for my personal example it wasn't until i started training jiu-jitsu that i like found that gear in in me like motocross it was a struggle mountain bikes it was a struggle i was like fuck i'm just not good and it was so hard and you end up i guess telling yourself that you you're not you can't i think that was like my example and then i look at other people i'm like now again coming from a place of i guess i figured out something in myself a little bit and now I think if I went back, I probably could not say be better rider or faster or whatever like that. But I feel like I understand like, no, it's not about what you're born with or it's not about any of that shit. It's literally just how bad you want it and how hard you work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've like always, you can put the work in, you can have the skill, you can ha- have less skill. You, you see it all the time in people people have all the talent in the world and they don't have the determination or the want and it just gets sort of wasted 
and then you might see someone else that's always been second best to that person but their hunger and their desire and determination mm. they thrive later on in life like yeah well you look at perfect example would be like uh like a cooper webb type guy yeah even, even look yeah dungy like yeah villapoto was always second to alessi look, look how he he turned out all right yeah he did not too bad so um what so, and so did you always have that gnarly like want and that deep kind of burning desire to because man most kids won't do laps of a bmx track for seven minutes because that's you know what i mean they'll be like oh oh i need if i can't do down and runs if i don't have this good bike if i don't have this if i don't have that like you put all these kind of like conditions on yourself yeah. and if if they're not met you can't be good whereas it seems like you didn't care no not really that's you if you want something you've got to make it happen for yourself really you can't you no one else can do it for you you can't make excuses you just got to do it where did you learn that or like when did that click because it seems like it seems like that happened pretty young yeah I, I don't know i think it's probably just the way i grew up yeah um yeah maybe maybe having an older brother and his yeah. mates and trying to keep up with them and and sort of you know we'd, we'd build a jump and most of the time they'd dare me into being the first person to try and jump the thing i don't know yeah that that is a that's definitely a thing like the young brother thing because you're always just chasing your your big brother around and they're yeah like always going to make you do some dumb shit and yeah. there's probably like an element of you wanting to like level up to hang with the boys you know? yeah 100 percent. and then that can push you onto crazy shit yeah yeah sort of just like makes you progress a bit faster than you would if you were just with your mates your age i guess because you're going up yeah when uh when like i guess there's there's got to have been a point where you knew that something legit was going on you know what i mean like it i can see i can see how you're like oh it was just a junior it was just this it was just that but there's got to be a point where that desire that you had you're like fuck yeah this is actually like this actually can't happen i can be the best in the world i think i always just wanted more yeah like so with that first junior world so i had no idea where i was gonna get like you're going against every every fast junior kid in the world and i got third and i don't don't know if i was expecting that that's maybe what i yeah. like the podium is probably what i wanted um probably wanted to win but from there like then i wanted to win the june like win at the next year yeah and then i had another year so i didn't want to not win it because i had won it and then i got out of juniors and i wanted to win the elite one i don't think i ever had like a point where i was sort of like thought you'd made it yeah i don't think like i thought oh i've made it this is me like i'm here i always just wanted to strive like i always had a goal yeah and i was like i still i still do now yeah man it's it's such a it's such a gnarly guess just like 
because it just feels like you've done or so much of it's just come from like in you you know and there's so many people where you can be really good and you can get to you know you can win worlds and you can be like a top level athlete but it's comes from like you and then it comes from this person and this person and you've got this guy that helps you out and i'm sure there was like a lot of people that helped you out but you're just like an unlikely it's just such an unlikely story like if you if you look back at it now or even if you said like hey there's this random kid from wa there's not really that many hills around he's gonna be the dude that can ride downhill faster than anyone you know what i mean like the conditions weren't exactly set up for this to be the story yeah but it is the story and it that to me looks like it fully just came from you well i think i don't know just just i've always like set goals and and work towards them and even when i've won world championships like i'm happy at the end of the day i feel like i've succeeded in what i was there to do but then there's there's always another year and another race and yeah I, and i want to i think if you sort of like settle yourself in the moment and you're satisfied and you're happy then you can't keep progressing yeah were you did you fit like did it feel good to win though yeah 100 percent. no there's nothing to, that feels better at a race so because i guess like there's people that it's like winning's not enough you know and it's like the next and the next and the next and the next so it's like is it it's, it's are not, you one of those guys or like, nah it's not it's not like that for me i think i'm not like crazy about celebrating that i've won and you know going going wild i'm like happy that i've done what i have been aiming for and training for and that i was that i paid to do by my team so it's sort of like you've, you've done your job and like yeah on to the next yeah but when you if you like say you don't win or you crash or you ruin your race you sort of left feeling i guess a bit defeated like you haven't you've got all these awesome people backing you and supporting you and you've sort of let them down yeah you've let yourself down so that that's kind of like it's motivation to to go prove them all wrong again but yeah for me winning's like a satisfaction that you've done what you set out to do yeah does are you are you one of the guys that likes winning more or hates losing probably hate losing yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's funny like with me with like the jiu-jitsu shit like winning doesn't really matter as much as not losing yeah <laughs> but then it's like well not losing is winning and you're like eh, no 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 the the losing thing is worse like yeah i'd even if it's like yeah don't even give me a medal for winning i just don't want to lose yeah so that's how because you, you gotta you gotta look at people some that, that have beaten you that you probably don't like most of the time and that's all it's like rub rub and salt in the wound yeah true eh? yeah i just fuck there's just something that felt or like especially i don't know i don't don't know what it is about the jujitsu shit but like fuck losing sucks so bad where it's just like the winning thing doesn't even matter it's just like just don't lose yeah (laughs) that's all i give a fuck about when um when was the first like the team thing come about like is that 
is that I mean I'm sure that's like a pretty huge moment especially being from here like that you get on a team and things are paid for and you can just like concentrate on like doing it well I guess then it becomes a job yeah so um like I said before Scott Sharples who was like the Australian junior downhill coach after the first world worlds in 2001 he got me um like a free bike off Jeff Steber in Intense. Yeah. And I remember ringing the post office nearly every day for like a month. I was like, is my box there? Just hanging for this bike. So that was, back then, that was like the coolest bike ever, I think. That was the M1, right? Yeah. Is that that one there? Yeah. So that that rolled in full Fox Intense race kit. Everything like what Kavarik had. Who obviously, Kavarik was like an idol back then. Um, so yeah, that was sort of the first sponsorship I had in in mountain biking, and then the year after that, I rode, I got on onto a team which was Iron Horse Mad Cats back then. Yeah, with Nathan Rennie, Jared Graves, and Bryn Atkinson as as our yeah. teammates. So it was a bit of an a bit of an underdog team. Um, I think Rennie Rennie was kind of the only known sort of racer on the team that had made an iron horse people probably would have laughed at you that you're riding that bike yeah what was the deal with that team because a crazy mad cats was like a gaming thing right yeah they used to make like all xbox like controllers, controllers and, and stuff yeah so that that team what was that was that bike not supposed to be good um so what it was there's a Back then, the guy who started the team, Sean Heimdall, he was from San Diego. He must have had connections at Mad Cats. Yeah. Um, but he, he basically called Iron Horse, who was also the distributor for B1 Bikes, mm. which I don't know if you remember what that what they were. Um, but they had a World Cup team, so he called them saying he wanted to start this team and he was actually looking to try and get B1 Bikes as the bike brand sponsor i think yeah um and then they said no we want to we'll support you but we want to put you on on iron horse yeah so the bike was actually pretty good in the end but sort of diving into it i think it was pretty risky move um maybe maybe for rennie for the rest of us you know we we didn't have a team or any, any other choices really what was Rennie coming off? Um, he'd been off Yeti, so he'd been on Yeti yeah. for quite a while, and yeah. I think he'd had a fair few good results at, at World Cup level and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, dude, there was the Aussie. I mean, Aussies have always represented pretty solidly in in downhill, but that era that come just before you, and then what you did pretty insane level yeah. of because there was like yeah Mick Hanna Sean McCarroll Rennie Kavarik Ronning Graves like fucking hell yeah. man it was wild eh like yeah. the dudes that come out of Australia yeah there was Johnny Waddell um, Scott Sharples was yeah. like one of the first dudes to go over with Ronning um, but yeah around when I was there there was a I don't know, a handful of dudes that could podium a World Cup. It's, we had, it, we had it like quite a strong representation for Australia for a while. And so where did you slot in? 
to that crew as like the young kid from WA? Uh, I, d- I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of Rennie and then the rest of us. Yeah, really? But uh, but uh, they're, that's like some of the funnest times I've had just hanging out with those dudes. And, you know, Rennie was sort of like the, the veteran of the team. So he's a bit of a mentor to all of us and sort of guided us whether it was good or bad through he's illusion, <laughs> through the year I eh? so yeah <laughs> what was down what was downhill like in general back then was it a lot wilder than I guess all sports were a little bit wilder back then but I mean that was still kind of the skin suit era in a way eh? yeah I think the tracks were a lot more raw and rugged um obviously they still had the norba america yeah. american national series back then which was that was like an all like you could make there's plenty of riders making a living just racing yeah that you didn't have to do the world cup so they had like movies and everything who was the what were those movies around the norbas was it clay porter that did those yeah clay um he sort of started a couple of years after that i think yeah because i remember Man, I had these... I wish I could remember the name of them. I was thinking about it just the other day. But there was some sick movies from the Norbers. Yeah. And they had, like, the sickest soundtracks, too. Yeah. And that was that era of, of you guys. And, like, there was that... What was that race Kavarik won by, like, 12 seconds in the mud? Oh, that was Four William. Was it? Four William World Cup. Yeah, I think it was, like... I think it was 14 seconds. Did he... There was one... He won that one, but then he won another Norbert too, right? And it was like a full-on mutter, and he won by some ridiculous margin again there too. Yeah, I think have. it was right around that same time. Yeah. But yeah, that whole Norbert scene was crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was. That that was some of the best racetracks we've we've been to, I think, and some of the funnest races I've had. What was the vibe like of that whole? Because you just get on a team you travel in the world you're around all those dudes like i gotta imagine and especially being young too you got no kids you got no none of the i guess like the responsibilities that you've got now was it just a fun time yeah it was it was, uh, it was scary sort of you know i was leaving home for, for six months um without sort of having too much of a relationship with anyone on the team and I didn't even know the no Sean or my mechanic JC back then. So yeah, to look, to go over there as a seventeen year old or something was was a bit wild. But I think um, yeah, just just all the times every day we were on the bikes messing around, whether we were just on the hardtails, yeah, down at the local mall messing around the streets or dirt jumping or whatever it was, we were always just hanging out as like a little pack and and uh, having a good time. Yeah, that must have been some fun years. Like, I just... You think about, like, the timeline of your career before... Because you almost become, like, a victim of your own success, right? Like, the better you do, the more pressure you put on yourself to do better. And then, like, pressure's good, obviously, if, uh, you know, you've you've earned that pressure, but pressure's not fun. No, it's not fun. I think like you start doing good and then you're expected mm. to do good. So it's not like you can roll up to a race now and and get beaten and no one says anything. It's like what 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 happened? What did you do? What went wrong? Yeah. 
Yeah, you kind of can't just like, oh, it's had a shit day. People yeah. are like, well, you don't have shit days. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, the better you do, the more pressure you got on yourself to stay there, I think. Yeah. When, uh, what, what was the results like on that, that team, um, with the, uh, Iron Horse team? Like, um, so basically Rennie was, his deal was the Norbers and the World Cups. Yeah. And then the other three of us were just supposed to race the Norbers and the, I think there was two North American World Cups. But me and, me and Jared Graves decided we'd pay for ourselves to go do the European World Cups as well. Um, at the first one, Graves had an accident and punctured a kidney or... Oh, damn. Um, you know, we're, it was our first time at Fort William one of the gnarliest roughest Gnarly. roughest tracks and i think we we've done like 12 runs on the first day of practice you can't feel your hands or your arms or anything um graves decided to go for run number 13 and i think he hit Good it call. ended up hitting a hitting a tree um yeah and then that was him out for for that year so had you already like committed to doing all of it like you'd already paid for all your shit or were you just doing it round by round nah so um my flight my return flight was paid by the team to america and back and i got like a real real small salary sort of to live on um and i was lucky i did the red bull ride that year in, G- in jindabyne it's a free ride event oh, that they used to have yeah 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 and i actually ended up winning and I got six grand prize money and I sold my intents from the year before so I had like a bit of money to pay for those flights and just to survive on isn't that fucking crazy how much money you weren't making back then and like what you put into like you pretty much would have put everything you made back into the like your racing yeah well it's totally different now for the for the juniors um, I think because they do have their own category, mm. whereas back then there wasn't wasn't that. So I was I wasn't like anything really to anyone, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So you you pretty much were like reinvesting what you were making so that you could do more races. Yeah. So sick. And how how did those first World Cups go? Well, that that um first world cup in fort william i ended up getting fifth which was like top five on the podium yeah i I must have raced i could not qualified as good so i come down a little bit earlier and i remember like we're in the side of the top 10 and a couple of my mates were around me and they're like you're gonna podium and i was like no i don't want that i was like i'm too i was like i don't know how to open champagne and I, I'm fucking too scared to go up on the podium because people are going to be taking photos and looking at me. I just, like, I was hoping for a sixth place <laughs> under <laughs> under the radar. Let's go home. But I ended up fifth. So let's just talk about that real quick. Why did you not want people taking your photo and looking at you? Well, I'm just, I don't know. I'm a shy, shy kid. I didn't, didn't want the attention. So uh, have you thought about that? So I'm the exact opposite to you. And to me, in my mind, it's a problem. Like, I actually wish I was more like you. But for whatever reason, I fucking not. I just can't <laughs> shut up all the time. And I'm, I, then I think I'm like, just fucking shut up, dude. Like, you don't need to talk that much. But 
for on your side do you have like so if i'm the exact opposite and i think that about myself what do you think about the fact that you're shy and don't like saying a lot would you like to be like that or like is it do you prefer to be like that or do sometimes you wish you were more outgoing yeah i think it would definitely probably help me out in life sometimes if i was more outgoing i think um, my shyness sort of comes across as arrogance and rude to to a lot of people that don't know me so for people that don't know me and to get that sort of idea or perspective of me yeah before even realizing who i am kind of sucks but that's that's, yeah that's how i am i think as i've got older and sort of throughout my career had to face media and 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 this sort of stuff more often it's become a little less stressful for me and a little bit less scary yeah so is it to the point where because this is it's funny though right because this is what makes sam hill this fucking unicorn doesn't talk doesn't do interviews because so many people will race motocross downhill snowboard to be a fucking star to be the man that's what people want and they want the attention they want the photos and they want all that shit and you don't no you don't want any of it so i think it's like it's interesting that you say that yeah it comes people think that you're like rude or it comes across as arrogant but it also kind of builds to this like aura and mystique like dude so many people hit me up about having you on the podcast i didn't think it ever fucking happened i was like no he doesn't talk <laughs> like he's not gonna come talk to me he doesn't want to fucking talk to anyone I told you the first time you asked me I said what am I I said you know I hate talking <laughs> somehow you got me on here so but it's um yeah it's interesting that cause for me I was always like I'd looked at talking too much as like this negative and then you look at your shyness as like a negative it's fucking weird how it works eh yeah I don't I don't know everyone's different i guess and that's like everyone's themselves which is a good thing yeah what were you were you always like that you were just always a shy kid doing his own thing yeah um because you don't have shy shy boys here (laughs) they didn't they didn't get that they're they're loving it yeah i think i was a lot like drake like yeah shy around people until i'm like comfortable with them yeah and then i'd be a menace yeah or like as a kid try show off to him or something you know and then when it comes to the but just when it comes to generally being out and about and the racing thing and the podiums and the it just was never something you felt did you just feel not feel comfortable with it yeah it's just it was just scary for me i think yeah but it's not something like it's not something i it's something that comes with my sport and my career yeah but it's not something that i like seek out it's not something it's not like the to me it's not the the part of the career i want yeah like i want the racing and the competition and and that the other stuff doesn't doesn't really bother me and one of the best things about where i live is no one knows anything about me or mountain biking so I just come even like, the dude that stole your pants from the tip yeah <laughs> like, I'm a to me I'm just a normal person I'm good at riding a bike which is my job so 
I just come home from my job and I'm just a normal dude and I just want to be a, a dad to my kids and yeah, live a normal life. Like the other stuff, being famous doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, so many people, it's about that. You know what I mean? So many people will... So many people will get up and train just so that they can be famous and that they can have to, you know, deal with all... Like, they get all of those things that you're kind of describing. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, man, it's just... I, I personally think it's the fucking best thing because I'm such a an opposite person to it. But, you know, when I think about... I look at the way that I am and, you know, you wish that you'd be... I could be more like you in that sense. Yeah. But then it's it's funny that, yeah, you just... You think the opposite, you know? Yeah. Um, the... Uh, like did it just was it just like overwhelming in a way to have that many people like frothing out on you when you don't see yourself the way that other people are seeing you like you are the epitome of just like a normal humble dude but then people coming up like fucking samuel oh fucking sam and is that where like the it gets weird because yeah, you can't yeah. kind of see the way that they see you yeah, well, I, like, I've I've got heroes. Like, I've got people in other sports that I look up to. Mm. So I I understand it, but it's still like it's for me. It's like an awkward thing. Yeah, because it's like it, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But it's it's definitely something I've like learned to get more yeah. comfortable with over the years. Yeah, but definitely like at the start of my career was something that was pretty hard to sort of like probably handle in the right the right way who were the people like were there people around you that were trying to help you through that sort of stuff or like did people because nowadays I feel like there's so much media training and it's it's probably as well just got something to do with the fact that you come from WA and it's just it's pretty out of the way yeah people are just doing their own thing yeah um were there people around you that were trying to like help you through that process or did you even keep it quiet that it was something that you were I don't know that it was like a hard thing to deal with yeah I, I, I don't know never really spoken about it too much I think um, lots of people that sort of do know me and figured me out know that I'm sort of sure I'm reserved but yeah it's not it's not something really I got like help or guided through from an early age yeah yeah because um, these days man like kids are so switched on with that sort of shit like feels like most kids are just media trained straight off the rip now yeah well i think even even now like you see all this all the stuff on tv and and instagram of people sort of like podium speeches and that so as, as a kid you might sort of see that and know how to handle it because you've you've seen it so many times yeah 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 whereas with you it probably wasn't as much like that yeah I, I was just come from come from WA where you thank your mum and dad on the podium and then you you're out of there as quickly as you can <laughs> <laughs> thank me mum and dad for bringing me yeah that's about as far as it went <laughs> so when when did you then I guess start like the ball really start rolling for you in terms of like results and teams and contracts and like going from 
small sign on paying your own way to then shit starting to fucking blow up for you ah uh, well that yeah that first year on on horse mad cats so i had had some pretty good results um even even like within the senior sort of thing so then going in 2004 i was stepping up to, to elite yeah um and yeah def that's that's the first sort of year i started actually getting a salary yeah did you um, did you have like management and stuff at that point or did you just always do everything yourself um I, i'm pretty sh- sure i got some help like from scott sharples yeah he yeah. was he's in the early stages of my career like as a junior and and even transitioning into that he's obviously someone i leaned on um for a lot of advice even with my training and stuff he used to write me training programs and yeah right and all that sort of thing um so yeah i think i i drew as much information and 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 that from him what was your process or approach to training back then because yeah you leave the races and then it's back home doing your own thing like you're obviously super self-motivated but what was in your head how you went about training and you know what was the the things that you did to get ready for these races like completely by yourself um yeah obviously back then it wasn't anywhere near as serious or or as many hours sort of training as, as what people are doing nowadays so yeah it was it was fairly minimal really for for what we should have been doing but i think every every year it sort of progressed and every year you'd have a new goal for yourself or you, you didn't want someone else to beat you and take you down so yeah um yeah i was just going off what what i'd been given by scott and, and just sticking to it and making sure i did it yeah and did you find the like obviously now when you look back you're like oh i could have done this this and this as you just learn more and the sport evolves i guess it's just like every action sports become pretty legitimate in terms of like the training programs and stuff like that but were you pretty self-motivated to do the work like you found it easy to get out and and smash out what you needed to do or was training like a, a hard kind of thing to do like it was just something that you just got through so that you could be good at the race no i think i was pretty motivated for it and stuck to it but i i think um sort of the, all the excitement of just sort of getting into it um professionally and and being young it, it didn't seem like you're just going riding yeah yeah it wasn't training back then it was just what type of riding were you going to do on that day it yeah. wasn't it wasn't like oh i've got to go do this it was just like oh that's what we're going to do today so you just go out for a ride yeah well even today when we rode like you were just literally doing motos and it was well i'm watching you right i'm like yeah yeah okay fuck makes sense (laughs) he's a savage and then didn't feel like i was out there for very long the old arms start struggling after a couple laps the last one that you did you're out there for a hot minute that was a solid that was a solid <laughs> a little solid, solid minute <laughs> yeah we're calling it a hot minute because yeah. it was probably a minute 45 now nah, i reckon you were easy out there for 
15. Yeah. I'm calling it 15, for real. Maybe all up. <laughs> Dude, I would have been lucky to be out, out there for 15 all up. Um, and so when when was the first, um, like, win that went down? And, like, what was the, I guess, the feeling like to, to win your first race? Because I'm sure at this point, like, there was, was there a bit of hype that started happening around this Sam Sam Hill dude? Um, yeah, I think I think so, and I think um, I'd probably sort of got onto a few of the top dudes' radars, and I think there was definitely like a few of the established guys that weren't super pumped on me coming in and fucking and, shit up. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but like that that first year. You know, four as as a elite, I ended up second overall in the World Cup. Um, I, don't, I didn't win any World Cups that year. Uh, there was one that I, in my mind, was going to win, and I and I think because I knew it. By the time the finals came, in my mind, I ended up just riding too tight because I didn't want to ruin it and throw it away. Yeah, right. But because I rode like that, I threw it away. So, all right, so what happens? Did you just, were you just ripping in practice and you're like, oh, okay, I literally can't lose? I just think it was like a track that I gelled with and loved and I knew, like, I'm going to win this race. And then, yeah, all the the emotions and I guess the pressure that I put on myself from that didn't allow me to ride how I should have ridden. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So what goes into a race where you know you're going to win like what are the things that come together in a day like that well i think i think some sometimes like it's you can know it before you've even ridden the track really like you can walk you walk the track and you just i don't know you know in your mind that it's going to be your weekend what and so what it just just the look of the track is it how you feel is it previous rounds is it days uh, training I, I think it's a com- combination of 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 things and knowing that maybe the track like how you're feeling at the time if you're like sort of vibing well with, with the track or just feeling good you know so yeah but and, then obviously other times you you don't know and you know it might be close and then you might end up winning or you might end up just missing out on it but there's definitely been races in my career where I've gone there and I've known that I'm going to win and I have what races? you got any in particular? Um, I want to go back and watch them Mont Saint Anne 2009 yeah I was in the in, in the title fight um, with, with Petey and Petey's sort of known that Mont Saint Anne's like one of his tracks. Yeah, true way. And I, and I knew that I was going to win it, and I think I pumped him by like seven seconds in qualifying. <laughs> wow. And then I just knew the next day I didn't have to do anything crazy. Just had to ride to the bottom of the hill without locking it up. <laughs> That's so sick. Man, it must be like the coolest feeling to be sitting in that box and have that level of because it doesn't feel like though with you that 
like cockiness ever enters the picture because so you could say that right uh, so I imagine if like a guy like Cedric said that like oh, I'm gonna win I'd be like you're just a fucking cocky French dude yeah. but, but it seems like with you it doesn't feel like you're saying that out of like cocky I'm the man I'm gonna fuck these dudes up kind of deal it more seems like you're just analysing it in your head like oh okay one yeah. plus one equals I'm gonna win this race yeah. you're just you're just confident and believe in yourself but I, I would never t- tell you before the race or like I might tell my, tell my wife but I'm not gonna go around the pits saying I'm gonna win this race that's so G though to just hold those cards to your chest and go out and then actually execute it it's just I don't know you, you gotta believe in yourself yeah but you don't go and say that because if you don't go and do it then you just look like an idiot yeah true so that race 09 Monsoon Ann what's when you're in that because downhill's so gnarly like you you pretty much can't make a mistake you've got to be so so on point and to, to do like some of the ways that you won were just like ridiculous ways to win so when you had some of those runs where you, like 09 Monsignan you, you're like yep yeah, I'm gonna win what does it actually feel like on the bike in your race run I, I don't know I've had so many races where I've felt different things like I've had I've had races where I've like ended up talking to myself inside my head really as i'm riding down and they're not they're normally the races that don't go that good Mm, okay and then i've had races where i haven't like it's like absolute silence Mm -hmm. from from finish or start to finish and you know there's crowds on the side cheering you on and screaming and chainsaws and air horns and everything but you're that focused and in the zone that you don't hear one noise and then there's and then there's races where you're just so focused on what's coming ahead. You're thinking about what's ahead. You get through that. You're thinking about the next thing. You get through that, and then before you know it, you're at the finish line. That's um, it's real interesting. I mean, I've I've been think well. It's one of the coolest things about doing this podcast is I get to meet and talk to so many dudes like you that just do what they do so well to just just a crazy level and everybody sort of says the same thing about those moments where it's like I'm not talking to myself in my head yeah there's nothing else going on it's just purely you experiencing the run and then it's over and do you almost have like those when is there is there like a point where you come back to being Sam Hill at the end of that run and you're like fuck what did I just do yeah so those those runs where you're in the zone and 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 you don't hear or like nothing else enters your mind like it's almost like you're on autopilot that there's nothing you can do to to put yourself into that or like prepare yourself for that it's just they're just like the occasional times for some reason that you just end up putting a run in that's like that and every time I've had one of them runs has been like a winning run 
so I don't know if it's like I guess mentally visualizing it over and over like during the week and then when it time comes time to execute it you just like zone, like you just do it you just zoned out that nothing else comes into your mind it's I don't know it's have like you it's thought about surreal. it much? I have because this has come up a, a few times and it's hard to to explain and if I could make myself do that every time I raced I would because I know what the outcome is yeah but there's nothing that I can put my finger on to say alright I'm going to do this so that I get myself in that state of mind when I'm racing yeah so um with like so i've been i've been doing it's it's so random but there's ties between like what you're describing and pretty much what like meditation and shit is so when there's no so like you know how you said i'm not sometimes you're talking to yourself in your mind and they're the races that go shit yeah so like that voice in your head the voice that essentially you're talking to yourself so like that's what buddhism they call the self right and so when you when there is no self what happens is because all that self is is explaining to your you're explaining to yourself what you're already experiencing yeah so it's like a commentary over what's happening yeah and that's like this whole separate process of the brain and when you're in the that state of no self there's no self talk there's no self conversation it's just you the person before that voice experiencing whatever it is that you're experiencing and i think that from like i said from talking through to so many different people on the podcast like i'm pretty convinced that's what it is yeah that there's just and i think uh what's it called that it's called um so there's panoramic flow absorbed flow so there's like have you ever seen have you ever been traveling or something and you see some like crazy fucking hills or like a a gnarly like a mountain vista or a crazy view and you just you just like snap into something and you're just like fully uh in the moment like looking at at what you're like what's in front of you yeah so there's like that which is that's called panoramic flow when it, there's so much to take in that it kind of gives you that same hit and then there's absorbed flow which is where you're so concentrated on what you're doing that that self kind of falls back and it's funny man like in the in the rhino podcast when he was talking about carmichael he's like the dust the ego like goes away and man everyone just says the same thing and i i think that i really think that's what it is eh? like that that self that you're talking to in the voice in your head it's pulling you out of the actual experience yeah. of racing your bike down the hill or surfing or whatever it is and it's like at the level and the speed that you guys are going just that little conversation with yourself is enough to just completely fuck a race right? yeah yeah you're obviously not concentrating or like doing what you need to be doing because you're thinking or like having these thoughts or something else whatever it is if you 
hit like the wrong line or and then you start saying like why'd you do that yeah let's go faster but then you probably make another mistake do you um do you get in that state like that flow state with no voice in your head do you get in that in other places in your life no just racing it's crazy eh? it's crazy man that there's one place yeah that gets it for you yeah and it might I don't know it might happen one one race a year it might happen you might not have it happen one one year like it's, it's not like a thing that's that's a regular occurrence yeah what do you think it would be like if you could let's say it was like a fucking dropper post and you know what I mean you just yeah. push the button what do you think that racing would be like then Wow. I don't know. I think that it, it, as an athlete, it would be pretty awesome to be able to turn it on or off like that. But it's also, I don't know. It's like it's, it's so special when it does happen for you. Yeah. If you could just make it happen, it wouldn't be like that magical special run type thing. Yeah, that's true. Eh? Have you looked back at those runs and been like, "Fuck, that was it." that was one of those times yeah I, I don't know I don't think it sinks in straight away it's, mm. it's more like because when you cross the finish line then, then it's sort of like yeah. no, normal worlds around again and then sometimes it might be like later that night and you're sort of thinking like about what the day's happened and then you're like oh shit I actually don't remember hearing at one person my whole race run yeah yeah, because so uh, the again, it's sort of the comes back to the jujitsu thing, but the 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 place where I experience that jujitsu every time, every time I roll, there'll be the odd roll, I guess, where I'm like thinking about, oh, I should do this or I should do that, and it's probably when I'm going with people that aren't as good as me, like in terms of the level. Yeah. So I've kind of got a bit more time, but when it's with people that are like better than me or equal yeah. and it's just like full send I'm just fucking, super focused on I'm it gone just gone and it's such a sick feeling yeah. eh? like I've had times where I've left the gym feeling like I've just done drugs because you've just been in that place for you know half an hour's worth of training yeah and it's just such a such a gnarly place to be yeah but yeah I can Im- I can imagine that it would be like a almost like a search for you to get into that place each race run yeah it's um i guess it's, it's something i've thought about a lot and wondered like how to get there because it can make like i think it could make you perform that much better on the day yeah have you still won races where you i mean obviously you've still won races where it hasn't been like that yeah but that, yeah, I'd say I'd say most of my races, it hasn't been that. But then that maybe like ten percent of the ones I have won have been in that state of mind, and they've been like the probably the more special ones, I guess. Yeah. So maybe I don't know if it, if if because they're races I've wanted to perform at a higher level, if I've been more focused and 
and more mentally prepared and like envisioned it for however long yeah that that maybe that's just where it goes like from the day a world championship ends when i was racing downhill i i'd think about when my next chance was really like you're waiting you're waiting the whole year and that's what i want to win again so i guess they're some of those runs are the ones that it's happened on so whether i've just been so mentally like invested yeah invested and um i guess just thought about it so much in my mind that that's what i want and that's what i'm gonna go and do Mm. that when you get there maybe just everything else turns off i don't know are you are you obsessed with it you reckon no no i I don't know but in terms sounds weird yeah no that does sound weird but in terms of like well you thought about it every day for a year well like to win the world champs like it's your job it should you take should be taking your job seriously but it's like is there like because there would be people that could go through race at a high level and they probably don't like if they didn't perform or they won and then they wanted to win again they wouldn't think about it in the way that i think you think about it like every single day just like envisioning every you know yeah i don't over and over i don't look at winning a race like um just at like it's not my job just to go and win a race it is my job but that's not how i look at it i i want to win the race for myself Mm. not for anyone else do you reckon so every day if i'm training and i'm living and, and breathing my job in my mind my job's to go and win that race so that's what i'm thinking about doing how like where does that i guess that frame of mind come from because that's always something that i find real interesting in people as well like for me i'm a fucking nerd i feel like i have to learn everything from books and you know like research and shit like that but there's other people that they seem to find real legitimate wisdom and knowledge just by doing them well i i think i'm fairly stubborn so when i when i want something i'm gonna make sure i do my best to make it happen so i don't know if that's sort of what drives me Mm. just wanting that that bad yeah but that goes back to what i was saying before about like your hunger and your determination Mm. as as an athlete i don't think it even matters what you're doing if there's something you want in your life or your career or or anything you got to make it happen for yourself and and the mental side of that can take you a lot like so far yeah yeah what when did when was like i guess the the first time that (laughs) yeah give it a give it a swiggy when was the first time that that shit like paid off for you to where you're like oh cool if i just do this with everything i can do pretty much whatever i want 
well, I, I don't think it's like something that I just thought of mm. and then applied it to my life. It's just how I've how I've been. Mm. Yeah, because I guess some people can some people just figure that kind of shit out on their like on their own time, like through their through their own program. Like some people. Because, yeah, some people, like, don't have to be pushed into things. Some people don't really have to be coached. Like, well, and actually speaking on that too, like, did you coach yourself writing-wise as well? Because, I mean, we're, we're talking a lot about the mental side of the sport, but, like, the physical side of it as well was, you know, like, are you have, has this been, like, kind of you figuring this out on your own? Yeah, I don't, that's not that's not like any mountain bike coaches or or like people to help you out growing up like um, like there is with motocross. I guess there's so many coaches that that sort of teach the kids how to get faster and better. That wasn't really a a thing in mountain biking. It's still not really a thing. When when Sharples was like the junior development coach, he was more sort of teaching us how to be athletes i guess yeah yeah like the training side yeah the it. training side it wasn't like we'd go and do a corner and work on techniques and and brake control and foot position and all that sort of thing that's just something that i think i've i've taught myself from always you know want, wanting to be better and wanting to go faster and i'd i'd keep going practice three corners over and over and till I had skin messing off my elbows because I found the limit. Really? And then, I don't know, that was what was fun for me. Like, you'd hit a corner as fast as you could with a mate and then you'd push back up and go again and see you can go even faster than the last dude. So were you thinking about it in terms of technique then or was it just going faster? Yeah, it was just, just about trying to go faster through the section. But I think that's where the skills and the the sort of comfort on the bike and figuring out what the bike can do and how far you can push it and yeah. how much to trust your tyres and that sort of thing. I think that's where all those skills have come from. Yeah. And so, because your style, like when you first came on the scene, especially like that elite kind of scene, you're you were doing shit super different in terms of lines that you were taking the way that you were taking turns the flat pedals like you really were a dude that came in and changed the way that people rode mountain bikes yeah i think like you're saying with the lines i was always looking for ways to conserve energy down the track so if i could ride the inside line where it's smooth and without going through all the braking bumps the same speed as I could ride through the braking bumps and around the corner I was going inside I was I was saving the arms so I was just always trying to be creative and, and find shorter lines if I can sort of cut insides and and you know you miss a tiny bit of the, the track where everyone else is going then those those little lines and and milliseconds down the track that's what adds up to to getting the fastest time 
And when did you start doing that? Like, when did you start kind of really playing with that type of writing? And what did you did you know that it was different to what other people were doing? Yeah, I, um, I definitely did because I think a lot of people just rode the track and rode the line that was there. Yeah, without sort of looking like looking just around a little bit. Yeah, but that that's something I was doing even when I was just just getting into like the state state sort of series over in WA as a, as a young kid. And so then you go and start applying that. Like, was it easier to apply that kind of riding on the World Cup tracks, like bigger and longer and faster? And like, was it sort of surprising in a way that how it ended up? You know, because like we said, like people just weren't winning races by that much. Yeah, well, I think like you go, the tracks are bigger, the tracks are wider, um, they're longer. There's more, there's more opportunities to be creative with your line choice. So, uh, yeah, I think um, coming coming from WA as well, all of our sort of the, the ground and dirt here is quite slippery pea gravel. So I've always grown up comfortable with the bike sort of Slide. moving around under me. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I never ride ride in the rain or the mud, and I've done really good at mud races, and I put it down to, to that because... Just be, being so loose. Like, my whole off-season, summertime here, the bike's doing its own thing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like riding on marble, so that's, that's kind of how it is to ride on the mud over there. Um, so I think that's how that sort of worked out for me, but it's so bizarre eh, how like these just random factors that it's not like you chose to have that dirt yeah or hot summers in WA but they all add up to this career like it must be weird being like you said normal humble dude like you don't buy into any of the fucking Sam Hill goat shit you know like do you almost sit back sometimes and be like fuck this is weird how this all worked out well I don't no I don't think it's weird I'm pretty grateful really like to think that I'm 35 36 this year I've like I've got a house I've got a family and I've provided for us all since I was 18 years old you know um I I never probably thought that I would still be going at, at this this age of my life so that's 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 pretty sick yeah oh dude it's been a insane career but it's just these random factors that helped make this super you know like superhuman dude on a bike in in so many ways that you know like that it's because there's guys that win world championships and there's guys that win world cups and there's like people win races yeah but there was just something different about like the way that you won and you know you talk about like yeah pea gravel the way that you ride here and just these it's like little things that you did differently and little things that were in your environment not necessarily in your control but they helped add up to this crazy story of you know 
one of the best two-wheeled you know athletes ever yeah i don't it's it's nothing like you would go and look for to yeah. do, to do to be a, a better downhiller but it's not it's nothing like out of the ordinary for me because it's all that i've known yeah but it's a it must happen in other other sports and other other things in life where people don't have the ultimate environment yeah but they still find a way to thrive i guess yeah yeah they're they are rare though like super rare to find those people yeah I, like yeah you were saying before how the french downhillers are all pretty pretty dominant at the moment and they're all sort of like a lot of them are from one one region mm. so it makes you wonder like is that region there's yeah, something in the water is that, is that what makes those those dudes so good or yeah well that's like you think about the just the wa is a weird place in general man for talent to come out of like daniel ricardo uh taj burrows yeah. jack robinson sam hill regan duffy jeff leask like what the fuck's going on over here yeah. you know like there's so many people that come from this crazy small it's not small but it, i guess it it's not small in size but it feels small like there's a small scene that's a it's a small group of people that can just do gnarly shit like so many good dudes have come from this part of the world it's like, but it, it's it's a trip though, right? Yeah, it's, it's we're, we're so far away from everything. Um, that yeah, I think it it makes it a bit harder for us to get noticed and to and to go and do do things around the world or on the other side of Australia. Like, just the cost to fly to the other side of Australia to pursue a, a career or like to, yeah. to try and get yourself noticed is like that much harder did you ever have any thought of moving away from wa no <laughs> that's exactly it's, what i thought it's not happening <laughs> <laughs> was it like were there people trying to get you to move no nah, not, not at all you so, just um, wouldn't even entertain the conversation no nah, i don't i don't think i've been anywhere not not to be rude to anywhere else in the world but i've wouldn't there's nowhere i'd want to live other than west australia yeah it makes sense it's probably similar for a lot of people like you know your heart's always going to be where you where you've grown up i guess um but yeah i've i don't know i like it it gets laid back it's a comfort thing maybe i don't know yeah no i mean dude there's when you got everything here and i mean when you can do what you did too like who's gonna argue to be like oh you gotta move man probably not that many people that can really make that argument yeah there's definitely more ideal places i could have probably gone to Mm. um to to train and but then saying that somehow those 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 elements yeah that that have created me as a rider all here so yeah if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah that's it so you talked before about visualization how much would you visualize a race run before you did it 
Um, usually quite a lot. So even from when we do track walk and walk the track, I'd lay down in bed that night and I'd try and go over the track in my mind. And not normally you'd you'd know the track, and then you'd be you'd be able to get it get it to a place where you could probably set your stopwatch, close your eyes, do your race run in your head, stop your stopwatch, and you'd you'd be within a second or two of your actual race time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like you you'd know rocks and roots on the track that. Like, there's hundreds of rocks and roots on the track, and you'd know where they are. That is insane, dude. How long did it take you to memorize a track like that? I uh, wouldn't like wouldn't take that that long, really. I've I've always been pretty good at remembering them pretty fast, I guess. Even from like, say, we go to a brand new track we've never been to. And we'd, we'd do track walk. I could probably remember 75% of the track as it is. Really? And then, yeah, there'd, be, there'd sometimes be bits that you'd get stuck on and you might you might forget, like, one section and you'd go ahead. But then after the first day of practice, you'd, you'd be able to go home and you'd know the track. Did you know other dudes that were like that? Um, there's definitely, definitely other riders that do it. I don't know how much of a common thing it is. I think, I think, uh, I think it's got, I don't know, you're chasing, you're always chasing to be better and to be faster. And that's like a small percentage of something that can make you better, I believe. Yeah. And I think it's got to the point where those top riders would all have to be doing it now yeah would you was it common do you reckon back then i don't i don't think it was super common uh yeah so that was something that that was because that's just study dude it's like that's it's never something never really something i shared with other people that i did really so whether or not others were doing the same thing or not i don't know man i just like I want it. I wish I could go back and just be like a fly on the wall through some of those times of like, because you're a guy that doesn't say a lot, but there's so much going on inside your mind, you know. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, dude, I was one of the people. I, I just fully thought I was like Sam Hill's just this fucking gifted person, just gifted. You just get given this talent there's the bike at the top of the hill there's the bike at the bottom of the hill yeah. that dude just fucking does it so easy yeah but that's sort of not the case like there's obvious and I guess it would have looked like that because you're not really saying much you're not really carrying on you, you're not you know you're just quiet reserved and then you go do your thing so that's probably I guess that's probably the reason why it looked like that yeah from the outside but inside there was just a lot going on yeah that was just super focused on winning yeah and that's that's maybe what people sort of looked at me and didn't understand what i was about as well like maybe they they had that perception and thought that i'm just a kid that's turned up with 
some crazy talent but and don't realise the sort of the work and the determination and how much I want it like behind the scenes because to to concentrate for that long like a race run dude to say that you reckon you'd be within a second of your race time that's fucking gnarly because just high level concentration and I'm sure it's not like you were doing that once a night like that would have just been over and over and over and over like to just not have other thoughts popping in your head and like random shit to distract you from that even that can't be understated the fact that you because that almost is like a deep meditation yeah to be able to stay in the zone and picture that track yeah well it's definitely like something like i sort of taught myself like you might get halfway down the track and like you say something else pops in you into your head so then you'd stop and you'd go back to the start you'd go again really yeah so you'd force yourself you'd be like fuck alright go back yeah. to the start yeah. or if I was going down and I got lost on a bit or messed a bit up in my mind and go back and so how are you seeing yourself are you seeing yourself on the bike top down nah, riding or is just it goggle view? goggle view and you're just on the track hitting the lines trying to do it at the speed like visualize at the speed you're going and so could you make yourself go faster in your mind like would you start say like that let's say like the first visualization run that you did was fucking shit and you're like i was slow here i was slow there i was slow there could you actually like uh get faster in a run through visualization do you reckon um i don't i don't think so you can definitely visualize it and process it slower and you can process and visualize it faster but i don't think that's going to make your riding any better faster by speeding it up in your mind yeah it's interesting that you say goggle view because uh by uh, a friend of mine he's one of the best jiu-jitsu dudes in the world levi jones leary he came on the podcast a while ago and we we're talking he was talking about visualization a lot it's just like man i would just visualize over and over and over and over and uh i will visualize jujitsu but it's more of like third person so it's like yeah. i'm watching myself roll with another person yeah and it's almost like i'm watching a video of myself yeah and it was funny man he shut me down instantly it was like no 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 no, no. it doesn't work like that it's got to be first person yeah so for me like for a jiu-jitsu reference would be like i'd have to see my hand go out front grab a collar grip then i'd have to see my other hand you know yeah but to me i thought that the third person view you know like actually watching makes sense to you that would be what would be better yeah and then for you to say no 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 no, no. it's goggle view yeah had did you had you tried both what made goggle view better never even thought of anything other than what you actually see on the bike yeah because see i i would think i thought it would make more sense to watch the the bike go down but after levi said that and then you've said this yeah there's got to be something to just that particular view yeah which is fucking bizarre yeah. that it can make a difference when i play a driving game on the xbox or something i cannot 
have that view. Yeah. It has, I have to be able to see the car. Yeah, right. So that's... I don't know, but I suck on the Xbox. So. <laughs> yeah, you suck on the Xbox. Yeah. Don't suck at riding. So what was that? What was the first win, like in elite? Can I go for a toilet break? Fucking oath. Take your headphones off. <laughs> I find that shit so fucking interesting, like that visualization stuff. Just find that insanely interesting, man. Because like, I guess. For so many people, they just want to do the thing at the track and then once they're away from the track, it's just like, it's over for them. You know, they put the bike down, they'll worry about it. You know, I'll pick back up where I left off in the morning. Yeah. But for you, it just seems like the lights never switched off. Nah, I don't, like, even sit, sitting in the pits, like, I'd, I'd sit there looking at my bike and think, like, how, like what can I do? Is there anything we can do to make my bike work better, be lighter? Like, constantly thinking of how to be faster on the bike. Maybe that's why you were so quiet too. Because you were just thinking, thinking you are so just much. busy. <laughs> it was just like, wait, I'm not talking, I'm busy. Yeah. I've got shit going on. Nah, the quietness is just just being shy, I think, but... I don't know, yeah, I reckon... definitely I just, a lot going on in the mind. Yeah, that's what I think it is, eh? I reckon you're not as shy as much as you're busy. <laughs> you just got, you just got a lot on. Just busy in my own head. <laughs> yeah, but it was productive. It wasn't like you were fucking around. No. You were doing shit. Oh, I was. <laughs> Still do now. Yeah. So, um, the first, first race win, like Elite... Yeah, big boy race win. Where was it? How'd it feel? It was at um, Schladming, Austria, two thousand and five. That track was pretty gnarly, eh? That was the track I I should have won two thousand four that I was telling you about. Oh yes. Yeah. And yeah, it was gnarly. Um, yeah, beat the body up. Actually, in two thousand and four, the old thighs were a bit sore, so I put some Tiger Balm on that night. <laughs> Rounded a bit high up the thigh. Oh no! Yeah, it wasn't good. No. That could have been what <laughs> messed me race day yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, there's no visualising that night. No. Nah. Bit of burning. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think uh, going back there the following year, 2005, like I knew, it was redemption. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it started raining for the finals. I qualified first, so they, they send the if you qualify first you race last yeah and I remember sitting like at the top and it was just me and my mechanic and we were both shitting ourselves <laughs> like it's not like a place we were used to being yeah um, and it's a weird feeling being the only rider left up there and just knowing that everyone else is at the bottom wait, waiting to see what you're going to do so and on top of that it, it started raining raining for the finals as well so yeah I remember um, yeah my mechanic JC was trying to keep my mind off being too stressed out and one, once the, the clock counted down I just sent her on and I had like a you pedalled out the start went off like this steep chute and JC reckons he just seen me clicking gears <laughs> and just disappear off the chute and heard this massive noise he didn't know what had happened, but I, I had like a wild 
but sick race run and ended up win, winning it by eight seconds. So, yeah, that was pretty pretty special and unreal to I think like that was a, there was a lot of build up for me because I felt like I should have won it the year before mm. and obviously I was chasing that first world world cup win and I got second overall in the series in 2004 I think that year I was probably sitting second overall again who won that year and I Oh five? No, oh four. four. When you got second, I think it was Petey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yes, yeah, so oh five. I won. Uh, Schladming, and two weeks later we we're racing in Montana, and I ended up breaking my elbow the weekend before. So oh. so I'd gone from like a top of the world yeah feeling pretty awesome you know that, that was halfway through the season at the time so that that was a bit of a bummer but yeah to, to win that first race and I guess to get the monkey off the back and just yeah not that I didn't know that I could do it but just to get it done yeah was pretty awesome yeah there's a difference between knowing and like or thinking and knowing right yeah I think as much as I knew I could do it I had like I had to do it to be able to move on from there yeah and then and then did it feel different after you won the first one um well I don't know they all feel awesome yeah no but in terms of like did you feel like it was just gonna be something you could just do over and over yeah I think you definitely from then you can go you go to the start line sort of knowing and want, wanting that same thing yeah like you've already had it like it, not that you didn't want it before but you you just want that first one gone so then you can just start going about business yeah yeah like right let's yeah. just click let's just click these things off yeah. go home with the check and uh and uh get get back to w yeah pretty much <laughs> and so you were saying before that the world champs is the one that you always wanted to yeah. win what what is it about world champs that you like better than the world cup series um was well, as much as i always wanted to win the world cup series i always had the world champs on like a bit of a pedestal i guess it's uh in in cycling we've got the, the world cup series and then the world one day world championship which essentially makes you the world champion which is in my in my eyes that's the best thing you can you can be um technically the world cup series is a championship but you can't call yourself the world champion so i don't know that's just it's always so much hype and buzz around around Mm. the worlds and the fact that it is a race that comes around once a year you're you're racing for your country you're wearing the australian australian jersey so you've got that pride on your shoulders and uh yeah i don't know that's just always been like the main goal and the main the main race i've wanted to win each year yeah and it it makes sense like there's definitely something to be said for to be said for being the consistent 
guy that can, you know, be there every weekend and yada, yada, yada. But then there's also something to be said for the cunt that can grab his nuts and fucking throw down for one run, one day to take all the marbles. Like, you're a badass dude if you can be that guy against a bunch of other dudes that are really good as well. Yeah, well, I think you could see it so so many years that guys who who can win the series or can win a world cup they they go to the worlds and they choke like they just whatever reason the hype of the race they can't handle the pressure Mm. and that's sort of that's kind of what makes it exciting like it's it's in a way a bit more adrenaline like like it is um it, it is that extra extra bit of feeling to, to come down and race the worlds and so with all of that extra pressure because you're you're so right that's exactly what it is there's so much pressure to do it one day and to that's like a motocross series coming down to the last race yeah well like think of the olympics yeah which is even worse you got it like four years you mess it up and you're waiting another four years for another shot maybe never yeah you know you might just kind of age out of it yeah what then with all of that extra pressure and you knowing that there's all that extra pressure what did what let you be able to overcome that so many times i think that's kind of kind of the mental strength mental strength and and sort of the visualizing it i think is what has sort of helped me be able to be able to rise and step up to that to that event what did you do to like did you try and block any of it out or did you feel because i guess there's two ways you could go about it right you could try and block out the pressure completely and block out all of the it's the world champs it's that you could just get rid of all that and that would be the focus so anytime a thought come in that was around that you'd be like no not thinking it's getting blocked out or is it the kind of thing where you feel all that pressure and you're not able to block any of it out but then it makes you visualize more train harder do more runs it is that the way that it was yeah definitely i think um the only time i try to block anything out is when you go to, to your actual race run and and normally we'd sit up there on like a turbo trainer for yeah you know might be 20 minutes or 40 minutes whatever your warm-up is that you want to do and that's sort of that's the time where everything starts running through your mind like mm. what if this what if that and that's what i've always tried to block out like i try not to think about any of that stuff and jc's always been like there with me and he he'll he can tell if i'm like he must just be able to look at me and and know that i'm thinking or stressing over something and he'll start talking about something completely pointless or yeah funny or whatever it is because he knows it's going to get my mind off and sometimes he'll say stuff and i'm like what like what are you talking about but i <laughs> but it works <laughs> but i know he's just trying to yeah lighten the mood but i think yeah there's no way to sort of block out all the the pressure of of the race and the event 
without sort of pushing away your focus of it. Mm. I think you need that to sharpen the focus, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, eh? It's like if you're... It's like running from a fight if you're trying to block out the pressure. It's almost like... It's funny. You know Josh Kasia? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Fucking love that guy. He, he give me one of the best sayings of all time. Pressure makes diamonds. Yeah. And ever since I heard that from him, I've always tried to think about that. Yeah. Anytime I felt pressure, anytime I felt like uh, anxiety around competition or anything like that, I just get pressure makes diamonds. Pressure makes diamonds. Yeah. Like, don't push it out because this can like this is what you need to then push you forward. Yeah, definitely. The nerves nerves can help you create the adrenaline that you need mm. to to perform but it's those those sort of nerves before you're about to get in the gate and do what you got to do that i've learned to try and sort of push aside and not not deal with because i don't know i just find it easier to, yeah. to sort of not at the, at the last minute or the last 30 minutes or hour yeah. of, of before I'm going to do my actual final race run. Because the work's done, right? Yeah. There's not you know that much what else you, you can do. You've been thinking about it for a week or a month or a year in some cases. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that there's no point letting those last-minute nerves stress you out. Yeah. Have you, have you had races where you've let nerves fully derail the program? Um, I don't, well, I don't know. As, as the years went on, I definitely learnt how to handle those nerves a lot better. Mm. Um, that, that 2008 world champs, I was on, sitting on the turbo trainer warming up and I had to get off and throw up because I was like that nervous. And then after I threw up, I was fine. Really? Rode, rode sick until the last turn, so... <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> what did it feel like? I mean, obviously, it felt good to win. Yeah, I mean, so I guess I should say, like, the question's deeper than what did it feel like. Obviously, it felt good, but there's so much that goes into racing, and there's so much that goes into, like, a career. And, I mean, how old were you when you first, when you had uh, BAM? Um, I was, like, 26 or 27 or something. Yeah, so, I mean, you're, like, a young dude. Yeah. With a young family, and you're leaving them halfway, you know, you're going halfway across the world, and, you know, like, when you do finally cross the finish line, and when you do win a race like that, it's, like, obviously it's got to feel good, but there's so much sacrifice that goes into it from your end, and then so much sacrifice from Bridget, sacrifice from the kids, so, like, it must be a gnarly gnarly film a feeling to cross that finish line on a big a like, big race like that yeah it is and i think like once before having kids in a family i was always racing for myself yeah um since having kids in a family like if i'm away and i'm struggling a bit because i'm homesick or whatever I know that I've got to make the most of being over there mm. and and racing to make it worthwhile for me not being at home, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, and yeah, I guess 
you know, they're, they're kids, they love their dad, so if I win, if, if I lose, if I do shitty and feeling crappy about myself anyway, I like when I talk to them, they don't care what I got. No, they want to tell you about what so, they're doing. And, yeah. Yeah. Talk about bums and poos. And <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's a pretty cool thing, sort of, to be able to, I don't know, it's a different, whole different perspective. Yeah. Um, for me to go racing now I guess like I, I, I want to make them proud and I want to win races not only for myself now but for them yeah it was one of the things obviously before we started talking it was one of the things that I looked at you and was really I mean I, I don't know what the word is for it but it was just it was real impressive I guess the way that you come across as like a dad and a, a family man and I think too like I guess I've just been around I've been around great people in the industry and you know real great athletes dudes like yourself family man great father with kids and then I've just been around dudes are just fucking pieces of shit so like and that there seems like there's a lot of them yeah. in in the industry at times as well or in like different sports and because i think like i mean i guess everyone's different but some guys just run on that confidence and you know like that big dick energy and out you know fucking a bunch of chicks and being the man and like yeah you know just super selfish and it's just like it's uh gives them momentum and that's what they kind of run on and i feel like with you it always looked a little different and i always respected that and i always it always just really come across that you almost like you could take all the racing and shit away like that and you'd just be still so sweet yeah just purely based on like how into your family you are yeah i think yeah i think um so a lot of athletes and to be an athlete I, I think you make so many sacrifices and you have to actually be quite selfish yeah to get like you need to put yourself first and you and what you're doing first a lot which i don't i don't feel like i do that like i'll I'll put my kids and my family first most of the time but yeah i think a lot of people can take it too far where the people around them trying to help them they're not as important as what the athlete thinks they are mm which when I say stuff like that kind of bugs me like if you're in a team environment and and people are trying to help you out and that's their job you should respect those people mm. because they're doing their job to try and help you get what you want but you see lots of people who kind of like treat those people like shit yeah yeah that it's so common eh? and I, th I feel like the the balance is you've got to think you're the man when the helmet's on and then you almost got to think like you're the janitor yeah. in the team when the helmet's off yeah like when we all go away I'll, I'll do everyone's dishes after dinner like humility we're, we're part of a team like I'm not just there to, to race and to win it's not all about me we're a team like we're a little family that travels around 
like everyone's got to put in and do their thing but I think there's a lot of athletes in in every sport that wouldn't do that and don't think they need to like yep. they'll think they're they're the man everyone needs to look after them and wait on them and basically be their servant so that they can do what they need to do but it, it shouldn't be like that yeah and then people think I feel like or I've kind of seen people feel like if they're not getting that insane special treatment that they can't win there yeah they're like these guys just don't treat me good enough to win yeah but that shit happens too right yeah yeah it's fucking yeah it is pretty crazy but there's a there is a balance though like because you do have to there is legitimate sacrifices and there is yeah like just that real estate inside your head at a race or around a race or during a season uh it's precious like there's you're using that time you know all the time not just when you're on the bike to try and get better so like there is is a balance but it seems like you've got a good way of stepping out of that and just going full dad mode yeah well that goes back to i think me loving wa Mm. like i i can go and do my job i can go and do my training for the day and i walk i walk in the door put my bike away and you know i'm unpacking school bags and doing all the the dad stuff Mm. like i have no problem with that that's that's my life i wake up with the kids get them ready take them to school go do my job pick them up from school then i'm a dad put them to bed like i have no problem sort of being both of those things yeah making making that time yeah because that's what <laughs> like that's what we're all saying to sam when we when we were driving out to the track i was like dude from two thirty p.m sam hill is in dad mode <laughs> yeah i'm in dad mode most most of the day really um but that yeah that's gone the lock also I love going training and doing my job because that's me time mm. and it's being out on my bike and up in the bush sort of on your own it's a good place to sort of re- reset and, and clear your mind as well yeah so when you um, you how many worlds did you get on the with, in downhill was it five two junior three senior yeah so what what was the transition or like why did you end up wanting to stop racing downhill and go on to enduro uh there's a few reasons that i think sort of steered me into enduro um a few most of our good downhill tracks were in like pine plantations yeah and and they all got logged at the same time and we weren't allowed to go and rebuild tracks in there so pretty much three of our best spots to to go and do do downhill and be able to use the shuttle roads and that sort of thing all disappeared um i was starting to do more stuff on the enduro bike as training for downhill and then having having kids like bam bam was a toddler and if Bridget would go take me to do downhill runs, we might get like three runs in and he's crying or he's car sick and spewing or... 
Oh, so you were doing like downhill training with Bam in a car seat yeah. and Bridget driving me up and down. Like <laughs> that's so sick. It ended up being more of a hassle. Yeah. Then it was worth the to tra- just ride the bike to worth, the top yourself. Yeah, worth the training. So I just instead of doing that, I'd just go ride my trail bike up in the bush for a few hours. So I sort of I don't know I sort of got a bit more passion mm. towards that and then yeah I don't again like since 2001 I was sort of racing nearly the some of the tracks are the same tracks they race today yeah so some of the excitement of going to new venues and new tracks wasn't there anymore whereas enduro everything was sort of it was new it was fresh and it was a new new challenge for me so um i think i kind of just felt a bit stale with with downhill and within myself so that's that's kind of why i made the transition to enduro because you could have easily just retired and i'm I'm sure you made enough money winning as much stuff that you did and it's not like you're out of your fucking ball and out of control and wa you know (laughs) so it's like i'm sure with the career that you had in downhill you could have just been like cool i'm done and everyone would have been like yeah man makes sense like you came you won everything but you know you could have walked away but then you kind of went into almost like a second career yeah that's i don't know like it's been that long that i've i've sort of rode the the first part of it where everything's new and you're always chasing to get better and chasing the the goals of the race wins and stuff that you want um then i went through a couple years of not really wanting to to ride my bike or wanting to be at the races i just wanted to kind of be at home and then um what do you reckon that was from i don't know i sort of just lost lost a bit of drive to want to do it i don't know what what it really was just didn't wasn't enjoying being being away from home and yeah did you struggle with homesickness no not really no no you just could get through it yeah i think because it was always i don't know just how how long would you have to spend away from home at any one time well when i first started i was basically going for six months yeah and then i'd come home and it was always weird like i'd think things would be different like i'd expect there to be like new roads and yeah and skyscrapers yeah like i don't know just things to have evolved in the last six months nothing and you come home and you'd be like yeah it's the same old thing it's you haven't missed anything literally the same fucking coffee cup would be on the coffee table when you left yeah but yeah recently i've since having having a family i try and go do the races and then come home so i spend a lot more time at home now and when you what were you thinking enduro was going to be like before you started racing it um well i did like a few local ones around around here as sort of training in in the off season leading into the races and they were just super fun events to go to and then we went to crankworks new zealand yeah um must have been 2013 something like that and I thought, yeah, we'll we'll go on there to do the downhill. 
I thought let's just do the enduro anyway let's see what it's about and that was an EWS oh yeah um, yeah EWS ring up, right? yeah it was their first one I think mm. and yeah I loved it and then um, yeah then I think uh, the year after that part of our sponsorship with Mavic Mavic came on board as like a oh yeah um, as like a title sponsor but they wanted us to do a certain number of EWS events as well yep so the team committed to doing that and yeah I sort of didn't after New Zealand I knew that I liked it but I didn't think too much about it and then um, so we did the four events or whatever um, that ne- next year I think it was or maybe maybe it was 16 we done that and i was sort of waiting to get to a venue that made me not like it yeah 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 but every time I, I was like this is sick so then then we go to another ice and i'd be like yeah like there's gonna be somewhere that where i don't enjoy this but it never never sort of happened so i don't know i sort of felt like it just it was the same the same thing as racing downhill but it it was different and you have to approach it differently yeah and it was it sort of goes back to me thinking in my mind of how to get better at it yeah so that that challenge was like exciting for me yeah which is i don't know it sort of brought like a new lease of life to it to make me want to go race that Uh, yeah because I'm thinking that the enduro stuff's probably not something you can lay in bed and memorize the track. Like no. it's just raw. You've yeah. just got to feel it and and just sort of like send it through these sections. Was that something that was cool that it almost like forced you to just completely change the game plan? I yeah, I think, but I think it kind of suits my the way I ride and and look for lines mm. and try to adapt on the fly of what's coming up so i think even though i don't know the tracks like i can't memorize them i remember parts of them from from the one practice run you get and yeah. and trying to study it on your gopro but you you're also riding like on the edge and, mm. and improvising when you have to yeah so I wanted to actually go back before I forget because I forgot this twice how much in the downhill stuff we were talking before where you're like I think there's some guys that they're just not down to send it the way that it needs to be done like how hard are you sending it in a world champs final downhill run uh, you you like you, you're all in you're putting putting all your chips on the table and you're just you're going for it and so you think there's guys that for whatever reason aren't comfortable to do that even though they're brilliant riders i think i think there's majority of riders will put in a a run that's at their limit of being comfortable yeah whereas i was always okay with going over the line of comfort how far 
whatever it took to win. It, look, we'd go to racetracks and there'd be places where I knew, like I told you, I knew I could win. There'd be places I knew I couldn't win, but I'd still try and figure out ways of, of or lines on the track or take risks to try and be there. That shit is so sick. To do like that level of commitment to do that on a run like you said you know all the chips are on the table to just be able to go out there and fucking send it way past the line like that stuff just fascinates me well, to think, to no end dude I think like you, you have to like if you want to win something that bad it is what it is you're not like you've got to go past your comfort level sometimes so do you think then that people don't just don't want it as bad as what you did I just don't think they're willing to go as far Mm. I'm not there's definitely people that you can see that aren't pushing it past their comfort zone they're they're just putting in the best run that they can at 100% and hoping it's enough but I'd I'd ride 105 or 110% if I had to and what did it feel like when you were doing that because so like I mean there was times today where I'm like fuck I know I've got this section pretty good and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have a crack at this one and I'm like whoa no 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 back it down big dog back it down but there's like are you getting that same feeling where you're just like, fuck, back it down, but then there's another party that's like, nah, man, just keep going. Like, I I just, I don't have what you've got to go way past the comfort zone. So how do you get okay being there? Well, I don't, I don't think it's like, it's not like I'm just totally winging it. Ready, ready, <laughs> yeah, ready. Yeah. Like, I'm not, on the edge of crashing every moment of the run it's like you know how fast you can go and then you just ride above that a tiny bit just to give it a little bit more because and it's not like you know if you go to a 30 minute moto yeah you put in the best laps you can but if you had that one lap sprint Mm. you're gonna rise above your, your, your speed, speed a yeah. tiny a tiny bit yeah and I, and that's sort of what it's like but then i think there's so many riders that just ride to what they can yeah and obviously i've i've had a lot a lot of good wins because i've ridden the way i have mm. and and i've had like i could there's a lot of big races i've lost because i've crashed riding that way mm. but i don't regret any of them because without without that I wouldn't have got the wins that I had got yeah yeah and I would never be happy with myself if I never rode that way and tried do you have any races that you regret that you think you left shit on the table uh no I don't I don't think think so there's slight I guess slight regrets that I didn't do things or, or, or basically some of those runs 
where I didn't just be like, let's tone it down a tiny bit here. <laughs> <laughs> let's walk into the finish here, boys. I, I don't even regret it. It's like I was, I was there to go for the win. And it didn't work out, but I just, in my mind, I wish that it could have worked out. Yeah, yeah. But I'm totally okay with, yeah. with with how things have gone in my career because I know that the way I've ridden and the races I've lost have let me win the races that I have won. Yeah. Man, that's such a sick perspective to take, to just be okay with the the crashes and the, the losses. Because there is some famous crashes where you know three corners from the finish up by a trillion seconds and everyone's just like fuck like you didn't have to do that what are you doing but you're right man it's like oh so what i back it down on this run yeah and then the next run and then the next run and then when am i actually riding fast like when am i gonna when when am i allowed to do this thing yeah, I think, like, a lot of people have been, like, you're up by so much. If someone had had a pit board or yeah. had had told you, you could have just, like, cruised it in. Mm. But it, if someone had told me what I was doing, like, I don't look at it that I was riding out of control or anything. Like, the mistakes happened and they were just racing mistakes. Like, I wouldn't have ridden any different if someone told me I was up by five seconds or... Yeah, yeah. It Like, there wouldn't be a race where someone could say, you're down by five seconds. I wouldn't ride differently yeah, to, it's not to like, what I would anyway. Like, I'm not... Yeah. I'm already giving it everything I got. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, oh, fuck, okay, I'll go fast. Yeah, and, and I'm going to give it everything I got from the start line to the finish line. Yeah. It's never going to change. Man, it's so cool to... Because I feel like, man, there's probably riders that don't have that where they beat themselves up over the the crashes or that. Because, I mean, Loik's crashed out of a couple yeah. world champs. He's won a couple. He's yeah. crashed out of a couple. And it's like, yeah, maybe it is the guys that are okay with losing a race because you know that you've got to do more than your best to win yeah I think Lowick's definitely one of those guys that will s- step it up when he needs to in a race yeah that dude there's some shit that you see him doing race runs where you're like he can't have planned that like, that was just <laughs> wild yeah but yeah I mean and I think that's what makes that's what makes downhill such a I guess a gnarly sport like you just get that one that one go at it man. yeah you got one chance and you can't you can't redo it so and then what is is it the same send level in enduro um it's a bit different because you still you're still pushing that hard mm. but then you might be coming towards the end of the day and you know you've like you might have a lead yeah. So you know you've got a stage to go or two stages to go, and then you can back it down because you know you can still maintain the lead and win the event. Yeah, without. So it's it's different. Like there's enduro races, and you can know kind of what place you're going to get before you even finish the race. Yeah. 
like if you're having a really good day you might know you're going to win it and you've still got to do another stage yeah or you might be in seventh and there's you're not going to catch the dude in front the guy behind's not going to catch you yeah so that i guess the um the excitement of that is different to downhill yeah where it's more strategy yeah where you're either sitting like you might race early and you're in the hot seat and you're sitting there and the anticipation's growing the riders are coming down no one's beating you and then it's a, once the last riders cross the line you know what's happened whereas you don't get that same yeah excitement level from enduro yeah it's just like a totally different but it, it kind of would have it in different ways but then it's it's also kind of nice to not have that stress yeah of wondering as well like yeah yeah sometimes the outcome's already on the wall pretty much you just yeah need yeah. to finish it off does um like I, I can see i guess the enduro thing almost gave you like a completely new lease on racing and it, it it's almost like a second career yeah and do you think like as as you know you get older and the sport sort of changes do you think that like e-bike enduros where the fitness side of it and the like the training side of it doesn't come into it as much and it's more just like a skills race kind of like you sort of take the fitness out of it and it's like skill over a really long time because it's like you look at guys like you know fabian burrell nicholas vulioz they retire from downhill and that's it there's nowhere to go yeah but you got to essentially like retire from downhill and then go into this enduro scene and then it's like you know you've still got years left of doing that and then from there it's like maybe the e-bike thing takes off and it's like you can be a part of the first generation where you know like mountain bike it doesn't have to slow down you know yeah i think yeah i think it's going to be interesting the next few years of where e-bike racing goes um i know that the ews series tried to introduce it last year um but because because of covid yeah sort of didn't give much of an indication of of where it's going and where it can go i think so i think this year and and next year will be pretty interesting to see how it all plays out um but yeah like you said with the the more technical side and take some of the physicality out with the e-bike i'm not sure that's the direction that it's going from what i've seen what what do you mean um i think they're using the e-bike to cover more uh more stages make it like marathon style a bit more yeah and um from some of the things i seen last year they had like technical uphill uh, climbs as as so a stage annoying. but for me like enduro is still a gravity sport like we should be racing down yeah whether they're on knee bike or not yeah because i i picture eat the whole e-bike thing and i'm not super entrenched in mountain bikes you know i'm pretty much just a casual fan at best yeah for me dude i'm like fuck give me sam hill give me 
Kavara, give me all these dudes that are still fucking rip, but they've been racing for 20 plus years. They don't want to train. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want, I don't give a fuck that Sam Hill's fit. I just want to see him rip. Yeah. You know, like that to me, that's where e-bike comes in. Like I don't need to see a marathon stage of a, like, I don't care how far you can pedal an e-bike. Yeah. I've, I want to see dudes like you that are, have already given a full career to the sport. It's like, let's let these dudes not train now. Yeah. Let's let them get to the top of the hill and then ride real fast down. And dude, e-bikes handle so sick. Yeah. I, I've found anyway, I don't know what it's like for someone that rides as fast as you do, but man, I feel like turning e-bikes is a way better experience than a, just like a normal enduro bike. Like, I feel like the level of riding that you could do and the speed that you can generate in between turns and stuff like that. Like, e-bikes could be the thing that just lets you guys really rip yeah i think the technology of them's new like obviously mountain biking has come along so way or yeah come so far with this technology and e-bikes are only going to get better like the battery's going to get better they're going to get smaller they're going to get lighter they're going to last longer they're going to put out better power I can see it getting pretty exciting for the future. But who, who knows what it means for, like, enduro racing or, or anything like that. Maybe, I don't know, instead of us being out for six hours of the day, we do the same stuff in three hours or something. Yeah. Yeah, like, what would your... Let's say someone comes to you and says, like, hey, we want to do, like, a e-bike EWS. What would it look like for you? What would be, like the most fun thing that would keep you racing longer um i think probably trying to keep the the actual race stages going down a hill <laughs> but but technical yeah just yeah it's steep technical and and i don't know maybe you can get to more remote locations yeah or like the, the the stages can be further apart because you've got the the e-bike to pedal assist to yeah. get get you to places quicker where whereas with a, a normal bike it might take too long to get from one mountain to the next or something yeah yeah that makes sense do you do you agree that they handle real good like in terms of like fuck it's now like dumbest cunt then um <laughs> like do you do you think that they handle better than a normal enduro bike because of the weight they're, they're a bit heavier the weight's like real low yeah i think they've got a pretty some good characteristics to them like um obviously the weight when you come out of a corner and you let off the brakes coming out they they pick up speed mm. um a lot more than a, than a normal bike as long as it's sort of going down um and yeah just i guess rolling rolling through things like the the weight and the momentum sort of yeah carries you through pretty good as well but then there's there's the i don't know there's bits of a, of a normal bike that um sort of have better characteristics too i think yeah 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 i suppose that makes sense but I th- yeah i think as, as the batteries and stuff become yeah. better and lighter and they can sort of bring them down a few kilos where they are closer to a regular bike's weight then that's when they're really going to shine yeah did you did you think 
that when you started the enduro stuff that you were going to be able to be as dominant as what you well like more dominant maybe like to win three world championships in a row um i don't obviously the goal was to try and be an enduro world champion um i didn't didn't really fully think it would going to happen the first year of, of doing it full time uh I've never, yeah, I've never been like a super powerful peddly person, and that yeah, there's so much peddling in enduro. So I think a lot of people didn't think I could do it as well. So it was, it's um, was that part of the motivation a bit? Mm, I don't know. I do like proving people wrong, but I think I I did definitely believe I could do it myself. But yeah, I just didn't think it would maybe happen that first year and then to do it again and then again and then COVID happened right after so you're the current champ so yeah. it's like you could go back and you know essentially win another one um, what what do you think it is that lent itself so well to or I guess what let you be so good at that in like you said you've never been known as a peddler like you wear flat pedals you know that's people probably wouldn't see those as winning ingredients for yeah. enduro um i think the way i ride i'm quite good at conserving energy on the bike mm. so i think although I'm, I'm not the most powerful guy at pedaling and put out the most power i think the power that i do have i can maintain yeah, you can keep that rolling longer down there. Yeah, hill. and then I'm um, as as well as that, my line choice and the way I ride the bike is is sort of using minimal energy, which lets me stay fast like th for the whole day, rather than sort of being fast in the early stages, and then fatiguing later on. How how did you develop that style? Like, was that just was that something that you worked on specifically you're like okay i want to be able to ride like this or was that just how your riding kind of played out i think it's all it's just kind of how it played out but I, from an early sort of start into the sport i always wanted to be smooth and sort of not smash my wheels and <laughs> like so this came out of poverty <laughs> yeah this came out of me <laughs> not wanting to save money to buy new bike parts <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so good so pretty much can't do this podcast without talking about flat pedals why flat pedals um and when uh when did you just say i'm gonna ride flats till i die so i actually did want clips when i was younger buying my mountain bike and and parts for it and trying to make it better than better I, I just couldn't afford pedals and shoes i guess so i was just a flat pedal guy and then yeah guys like kavarik and rennie i looked at them and they were, they were doing bloody awesome and then yeah that's kind of I guess where a bit of the foot out flat out style came from was was looking up to those guys and 
going overseas I, I didn't see a need for it like I think I still look at it now that both pedals are just as fast as each other yeah um over the course of a track that where one's faster the other one's faster somewhere else so um yeah I don't I don't look at it as a disadvantage at all uh where like I guess it was funny my my old boy I was trying to get clips for same deal though dad was like i'm not fucking spending that much money on shoes and pedals for he's like my dad always said why would i spend four hundred dollars to essentially strap you to your bike that he's gonna cartwheel down a hill he's like i just don't know that that sounds like the safest thing i feel like he's probably right probably is the move to be able to uh have a little bit of independence from your from your bike going that speed down a hill yeah i think uh especially like a lot of the young kids now they they get into mountain biking they get a dual suspension they get clips at an early age but they're sort of they're not getting the skills yeah that flat pedals and and a hard tail or a rigid bike teaches you like you have to learn to be smooth down a track if you've yeah. got no suspension yeah and you have to learn to to keep the bike underneath you with flat pedals when you're jumping yeah the the kids that are like there's there's loads of kids now if they ride a, a flat pedal bike and try to do a jump they just they can't do it yeah so i definitely think for the younger dudes if if i was getting my kids into it i'd want them on on flats and some something to teach them the skills early on before they they sort of progress to a, a bigger bike and be able to take it and push it further yeah and i think too like what you were saying before about um like the pea gravel and stuff here like cliffs were probably shit here because there was probably a lot of times where you were spent both wheels sliding yeah i lost enough skin as a child <laughs> without being stuck to me bike <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it makes sense so what like i guess you don't do a lot of these what are some things i guess we spoke about it before people maybe get the wrong impression um with you being quiet and they mistake it for other things what like is there other things that through your career with being quiet not doing a lot of interviews not doing a lot of media is there are there other things that people have gotten wrong about you or things that you never really got a chance to say that you would like to um i don't, I don't know putting you on the spot a bit but. yeah i don't i'm not i'm not like the type of person that worries about what other people really think of me in general so i don't know i'm happy with myself and doing me and if that comes across wrong then i don't know i love that it's fucking solid though because a lot of people don't have that a lot of people do trip on you know what people think and what people say about them so it's pretty yeah sick to have that you know in yourself to just not really give a fuck yeah i i, I don't know like the people I think people that know me know, know who I am. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't need to try to be something different to make people who don't know me 
think something of me. Yeah. That just don't don't make sense to me. So if people want to judge something before they before they know what it is and that's on them. Yeah. No. Hey, amen. Well, I really appreciate this. I was super stoked to uh to get to do it. I was so stoked to ride with you today as well. Like that's just this is weird, man. Like there's times where I don't know, like I've just done so much cool shit and you you know, you do things and you're around all these different people. Never in my life thought I'd get to ride a dirt bike with Sam Hill, even with all the dope shit that I've done. <laughs> like I've been to fucking Stuart's house, I've been to Carmichael's house, there's a lot of cool shit that I've done and along that, that way you think that you'll do other cool shit. Yeah. Riding with you on a dirt bike was not one of those things I thought that would happen, so I was pretty stoked that, stoked that we I got was to pumped on it too, bud. <laughs> no, yeah, it was a trip to, eh, to just do all that driving and then to rock up here, have some subway, and then just go and get <laughs> fucking shown the way around a, a proper sand track by, yeah. uh, by the boys. So, man, I appreciate it. You, um, you are a full-blown legend in every sense of the word i know you're a super humble dude i know you don't see yourself any differently but you've achieved incredible shit from a place where you probably shouldn't have really yeah and through all of it not wanted any of the fame not wanted any of the carry-on that comes with it you don't want people to you know think of you any differently but man super special career and what you've done and um and then i think to be the family man that you are as well to never leave you know your home in wa there's just a lot of really cool shit about about you and i think that yeah i know you don't give a fuck what people think but i hope people listen to this get a little bit more insight into who you are the way that you think and i know that people appreciate you but i hope that this does something to even help people appreciate you a little bit yeah. more. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks for having me on here. No dramas, mate. Anytime. Sam Hill, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to sleep. Fuck. Tired. Good, good luck, Manji. Oh, fuck. From the gang Gang and they come and get Gang and they come and get Gypsy gang. I'm at a gypsy gang. I'm at a gypsy.